0: What's up, dude? Hey, man. Hang on, Let me get this setup going here. Look at your nice background with wood and wooden acoustic, acoustic panels. Treatment. Yep. Look at my terrible. Look, at, I got nothing. I got a couple level locks. That's pretty cool, but yeah,
1: I don't know about that. I mean, that seems like something from like a uh, what do you call it? Design magazine. Very yeah. Very uh consciously placed plants and no, it looks good. Yes.
0: Plants are good. I got some more plants hanging around. I'll I'll give you a little quick tour of my my home studio But this is the main rig coffee and nice speakers pro tools. Nice What speakers. Are you running now? These are dutch and dutch eight c's um These my friend is letting me borrow these he has two pairs and they're um I think they're six thousand a piece. So these are twelve thousand dollars speakers. They're yeah, incredible, but I mean, come on, like. Is it worth it? it? That's that's the question, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's there's always like, you you do get something for your money, but like the scale as you go from like basic. Pro audio gear into the high end, like the exponential Mm. curve is crazy, and stuff gets so expensive. But then again, like if you're doing it at a pro pro level and the income matches that, then Mm. you know, go ahead and do your thing,
0: right? Then it makes sense. Yeah, I'm not, I know what you mean, speakers, especially too. Because, like, I have these, um, I bought these output frontier speakers. Have you seen those? They're like, um, they're they're pretty cool. They're tiny. I forget what size they are, but I had those before just because I thought they looked cool and I wanted to try them out. And they were they're in the in that lower price range of like I guess mid price range, like twelve hundred a pair or something like that. And they're good, but these are better. Are they are they ten times better? I don't know, you know. But now that I'm so used to these and I'm and my mixes have gotten better on them noticeably. And so that's I just wish I wish they were like half that price. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit much.
1: Yeah, that is the case with a lot of stuff, but it's like you kind of like if if you need it as as kind of the part of the next level you're going into. Yeah. And the money is justified in terms of what you're making with it. Then it becomes a different conversation, but it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't help paying, you know over right. 10k for a single piece of equipment right. so
0: yeah cool yeah i'm finally at that point where i feel like i am more justified in larger purchases in the past i've always been like in my 20s i'm 34 now but in my 20s i was like i was a scrapper it was like i'm going to get the best cheapest stuff you know i'll buy used sm57s and and all that all that kind of stuff I never, I never bought nice shit basically until recently. And I feel like it is, I do justify it. It has to be justified against how much potential money I can, how much potential revenue I could get out of the equipment I buy, which is probably smart, but also I think it, um, I don't know, it feels kind of limiting sometimes. Like you shouldn't just buy something because it will, in my opinion, you shouldn't just buy something because it will make you money. Or because you think it'll translate to revenue or something it's like if you really want it buy it get it put it on a credit card deal with it later but i don't know maybe that's the american way of looking at it
1: no i think it's 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 valid and you know especially when it comes to things that are non-monetary like creative inspiration like mm-hmm. yeah. it's it's sometimes tough to put a price tag on that nor nor would you even necessarily want to but 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 also you know, creative inspiration and and also for how many years to come you know you could buy something rather expensive now but you know if you're going to use it if not for the rest of your life then at least for a good uh, good amount of time and and you know maybe create a bunch of good music or whatever with it so yeah yeah I don't yeah. I don't think it's good to be overly focused on the money but on the other hand I think artists and, and creatives are too much on the impulsive side. And, mm-hmm. and I just kind of yeah. want to counterbalance that and say, think about it in terms of the input and output that shouldn't be the mm-hmm. only thing, but, but maybe more of that instead of yeah. the impulse buy stuff.
0: I agree. And I also think there's like a, there's an element in there of something I've learned recently is like, you know, I'll buy a nice, uh, I don't know, pedal or, um, or I'm trying to think of what I just bought that I didn't like. I actually, I bought this Townsend Labs virtual mic that UAD, it works with the UAD stuff. And I bought it. I was like, oh, this is great. You know, it's like, I can use it for all these different things. Um, Reasonably priced for what it does. And I wanted to like it so many times over and over and over again. And I just never liked it on anything. And I'm like, why do I still have this? I finally just put it on reverb. But like stuff like that too, where... Um, there's another element where I think if, if you don't like it, even if a bunch of other people do, don't keep it or don't use it. Or if you like the shitty thing that, that nobody else likes, but you like it, keep that too. I think it's like so many, there's so many, uh, so many personal connections with gear these days that shouldn't be, shouldn't be overlooked. And that's something I've tried to learn more too, as I, as I move on in life and start amassing all this gear, I'm like, what do I really like? And what can I just get rid of, or just not, yeah, not use anymore.
1: Yeah. Cause it's at the end of the day, it's, it should be about what you create with it. You know, what are you actually using it on? And no, no listener really cares about whether your effect pedal cost you $5 or $500. Like it doesn't, in the context of making good sounding music, it just doesn't really, really matter. But, uh, it's actually good to hear, uh, your thoughts on the, the Townsend mic thing, because I do like the concept. I haven't tried any of them, like the Townsend or the Slate stuff,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: um, yeah, the concept is good. But I'm sort of, because a lot of the time when you're playing with microphones, it's something very v- kind of visceral that you feel when you hear the, the mic playback and yeah and I don't know like to me it seems like much of it comes down to I'm not sure if I can actually articulate this but it feels like you can feel the the internal workings of the mic the weight of the mic and I'm Mm. not sure if they can actually model that like it doesn't usually Mm. feel hefty enough but I don't know maybe you have some thoughts on that
0: Dude, I totally agree. I totally, I couldn't agree more. That's actually a way I hadn't thought about it, but probably unconsciously thought about it like that. Like, the last thing I personally need right now is like more digital options. I'm like, I'm good. You know, I have, I have enough digital options in here. So when I'm out in this world, and I'm recording something I would rather spend more money on getting two or three really expensive mics you know that are included in the in the slate virtual mic or the uad townsend i'd rather spend money on the real thing because especially what i do too which is like sampling stuff i don't want to introduce the attainable stuff i guess like it feels too attainable maybe that's it like uh i don't i don't want to be able to get that sound um of of a mic that i don't own i'd rather own it and know that it's going through all the little shit inside of that mic and all the weirdness that's happening in there so yeah i uh basically i i feel like i just don't need digital options anymore i'm 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 good give me the real thing
1: yeah yeah for sure um, well, I mean, first of all, thanks for for doing this. Uh, it means a lot and I appreciate the time oh. you, you put into this and it's cool to cool. you know, chat in person because we've only been you know, emailing a few times. So
0: uh-huh.
1: yeah, that's cool. Um, just to you, give you people- You
0: a quick circle demo so I feel like I owe you. I feel like I owe you one. You don't owe me
1: anything. Well, you're here so consider it. <laughs> consider it cool. uh, done. Mm-hmm um no i mean it was first of all it's it's been my pleasure to play with them because they are great samples and and uh sweet you know anytime you can share something that you care about and something that you like you know i'll I'll do that any day so um yeah but thanks for sending them over because <laughs> yeah man. they will serve a lot of purposes for me for sure that's great um Just to give people some context about, you know, who who you are and what you do, this is kind of like a very condensed CV, I guess, but uh, uh, you're the founder, obviously, of Circles Drum Samples. Uh, So you're a company, you develop um, amazing sounding drum sample libraries, and just for those who don't know what sample libraries are, in case someone's Mm -hmm. watching this, uh, essentially they're... I guess recordings of instruments, which are then processed and programmed into this uh, piece of piece of software, which you can, in turn, then uh, you can replay those recorded samples with with something like a MIDI a keyboard or program that on your computer. Um, so essentially, you can use sounds that you wouldn't otherwise have access to. Um, but yeah, obviously relating to your work at Circles, your an audio engineer uh, and also a, a badass drummer from what i've heard um and and i also picked up that you were uh sort of quite uh, uh you had sort of quite significant efforts with with this band called uh, tickle me pink is that mm-hmm. correct
0: you did your research huh
1: well i mean I try, I try my best, (laughs) but, uh, before we dive any deeper, is there anything you'd like to sort of add to that condensed CV, anything you want people to know in terms of what, what it is that you do?
0: Yeah, it's, um, no, I I mean, you, you summarized it. Well, I, I started circles probably like five or six years ago as one single drum sample library. And then it became two and three, and now it's like 14 or whatever. And we have, we have people, the, I mean, the people that buy the our, our libraries are, they're all over the world. They're all different types of musicians, engineers, producers. Like, it's pretty all over the spectrum. So we've sort of adapted what we do as the libraries go on to, you know, people seem to like this dead stuff. Let's keep doing the dead shit for a while. Or People don't really like the outdoor or desert recordings we do. We won't do those anymore. And so it, it morphs and it changes as time goes on. But... Yeah, when you pretty much everything at circles that you see or hear or read on the website or whatever is all just me doing it. Um, I have my buddy Tyler help me record stuff and Andrew Berlin at the Blasting Room Studios down the street. He'll help me mix and record stuff, Um, but the majority of it is just is just me and I spend a lot of time doing doing non musical stuff you know it's like running this company is is intense in in non musical ways more than musical actually like the drumming and the, and the production for the demo songs or whatever is the easy fun shit and the hard stuff is like creating a functioning website hiring developers hiring graphic designers doing the graphic design myself or um running ads making sure my, all my creatives good my ads are popping kind of a managerial just running of a business shit takes up probably 80% of my time so like I I am uh, I, I would consider myself a drummer first but I I don't that's like the the least part of what I do anymore. That was what I did all through my 20s and basically, now I, do, I don't do that. <laughs> like I've got a drum set set up right there and I just, I don't play anymore. I'm just here. I'm, in, I'm here all the time. <laughs> this is my new drum set.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, we're definitely going to come back to a lot of those things you touched on. And I kind of know, even though I, I don't do anything at the scale that you do it or or even anything similar enough to what you do, but I sort of know the, the, the path of... Um, trying to do something seriously and professionally and then finding that you spend a lot of your time on a lot of things you didn't expect to be spending your time on. And that kind of yeah. becomes the, the, y- your life essentially. But, um, if we go back to the very beginning, uh, of your life, so you're, you're now in Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is Correct. that where you're sort of uh, not sort of literally, are you fr- originally from, <laughs> from there or, did, it, did your uh, story
0: start somewhere else? No, I was born, wasn't born in Colorado, but moved here when I was like six years old and spent um, from six to 23 in Colorado. Grew up here, grew up playing in bands here. Um, the band that you mentioned before, Sickle Me Pink, um, was, was technically my first band I met Sean the singer at a talent show uh in two thousand four or five. Met him at a talent show. Uh I won. I got first place. He got second place. I used to rub that in his face all the time. But we're like, he was he was a singer, guitarist, I was a drummer, played stupid drum solos on YouTube somewhere. Um and we went to each other afterwards and we're like, hey, do you wanna do you want to like start a band like this kind of makes sense you know we're both this high school you're a songwriter i'm a drummer let's do a band started a band uh we graduated early to make this record with this guy named uh chris coip in virginia he'd worked with like john mayer and jason mraz and these kind of like east east coast virginia uh producers and stuff he, he'd worked with and, and he thought he could do something with us. So we drove out there. I'm 17 years old, 18 years old or whatever, 17. Uh, made a record, didn't do anything, did a record after that, but um, did a lot, it um, relatively a lot. It was this record called Madeline and we had this one song, this two singles, but this first single was a song called Typical that started to blow up on terrestrial radio here in, in Colorado. And then it got a bunch of t- attention from, from labels all over. Um, we had Capitol Records fly out, and Atlantic, I think, was part of it. And then this one label, they're called Windup Records. They sent out their a and uh, Her name was Diana Meltzer, and this other guy named Mike Kahn were the 2 like and there at this record label called Windup wind up at the time had uh, Creed, Evanescence, Seether, kind of these like dorky new metal rock bands and stuff, but they came loaded with cash. Like they were, they had so much money from these bands cause just come off this huge run of an era where bands would uh, sell CDs and, and go double diamond like 20 million records like Creed did. So they had all this cash. And so when we looked at all these record deals that we were getting offered, it was like this shitty capital deal, this shitty Atlantic deal. And this windup deal was like way out of proportion uh, monetarily with everything. And we were young and so we were like, let's take the deal with with all the benefits and all the money and shit. So we did. And looking back, it's funny now because I thought this was like a normal sort of thing that like a band does like oh yeah you you start a band you're in high school and you sign a record deal like doesn't everybody do this and looking back I'm like oh my fucking god that was so such a rare thing to happen like it that just doesn't that doesn't happen so I'm looking back now thinking like oh my god we're so lucky that we got to do that but um this, yeah, this record deal that we signed was was like, it was, we, we had, it was like a five year deal and they paid out the, I forget X amount of years for like what our salary would be. And they paid us a salary. They paid for our health insurance. They bought us a van and a trailer. They paid for our tour support and and, a, and equipment, there's just like this ongoing list of stuff they, they gave us, and it was, it was insane. Um, so we put out a record on July 1st, 2008. And on that day, uh, the bass player in our band died of a heroin overdose that morning. So it was like, still like the craziest day of my life like those two things coming together like that it was it was fucking nuts and we had all this tour all these tours lined up two weeks later that was that was going to take us on um god where were we it was it was like a i think the tour started in california with this band finch finch and scary scary kids scaring kids and then the next tour was Hawthorne Heights. And the next tour was Red Jumpsuit Apparatus, like all these bands that were popular here in, in 2008. So we had all this shit lined up, this major record deal. And then Johnny, our bass player, died that day. Uh, so it just it completely changed the course of the band. And we ended up doing the tours. My buddy Joey came back and filled in for, for Johnny. But it was this whole like being thrust into this industry. I mean, I was 19 at the time. So I'd already signed a record deal. My friend just died of a heroin overdose. I'm going on the first tour of my life. I just had this record release released nationally. Um, it was it was crazy. That's how I started my my journey into this industry. Was just like, bang.
1: Yeah, it's essentially you. You are kind of uh, simultaneously. Um, obviously, if we disregard the the. You know the the sad stuff. You're kind of uh, living out this uh, uh, this dream uh, on one hand, but uh, y- you kind of touched on it, I guess, um, in terms of like at at that time. You you simultaneously it's your dream, but you also kind of think it's going to happen because you're you're young and you're probably fueled by this. Um, kind of the the positive side of of the ego, you know, driving you forward and pushing you to, you know, do things and try things. So on one hand, you expect it to happen, but on the other, it it is your your actual dream. So at that Mm -hmm. time, like, could you maybe describe, like, did you have any any sort of um, second guesses about, like... how is this, you know, happening? How is this coming together? And was it like, mm-hmm. did, was it surprising to you? And well, I guess it, it must have been a mixture of all kinds of emotions, but uh, yeah. but um, you mentioned that you later on realized how crazy all, all of it was, but at mm-hmm. that time, because some people will find themselves perhaps not in that same position, but in a similar position, you know, getting some kind of a, a deal with with a label or something else was that something did you realize at the time this the
0: the speciality
1: of it all or
0: i don't know it was so so much of this i've been able to piece together in like hindsight and also i think well, i know what i went through and what the that band went through all of us included like was traumatic so it was i don't think any of us had time to really like go back and process what was going on it was um i think at the time we knew we knew we were lucky we knew that um you know that this was rare that not every band gets a record deal and not every band can do what we do but still it felt maybe i mean we probably had egos about it you know like of course you know we're all so amazing like of course we would get a record deal i think that being young having that ego was definitely a factor but yeah i really think look having 10 15 years passed since then i'm able to look at it much more objectively and go oh yeah that was that was rare that was special we were lucky that was crazy and I'm glad it happened, but i I don't have any desire to go back and live that kind of lifestyle ever again.
1: Was there something that sort of uh, carried you through it in in the sense of you know keeping you on the right track or or not not allowing you to you know fall into some of the common pitfalls? Was there something <laughs> was it your upbringing or or your friends or a mentor or what yeah. what sustained you and and prevented you from going down the i guess the darker darker path
0: yeah that's a great question i did not have a mentor at all um we had you know we kind of had each other in this weird like uh, me me and the other band members we kind of had each other to lean on you know there were other it's, it's so tricky. I honestly, looking back, I'm like, I don't know how I held it together. I think a lot of it was momentum. A lot of it's being young. Having that ability to bounce back quickly. But I don't know. I did, you know, I did have, my family was very supportive. Um, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, was very supportive. And so that's, that's probably one of the biggest things. It's like having that having a stable relationship having a good good family system you know it's it's hard to coming out of that cuz it was like drugs and alcohol and stuff i think were probably probably there and i wasn't really interested in it at the time but they existed around us and our singer our singer had a lot of problems with that and and he'll be the first one to admit it but that was that was troubling but i think it was just a lot of it was momentum too you're like you know inescapable momentum of of the moment and probably knowing deep down that this isn't going to happen again or like we kind of just got to go through this and and exist and do the best we can so yeah i don't know it's a tricky one to unpack though i still i look back on that time of my life and i go wow was that really me? Like, did we really do that? Was that like a fever dream? It's crazy.
1: Yeah. I feel like that's always a case when you have a very distinctive, different time period in your life and then you do something else and then you, you know, look at, uh, or jump on memory lane one way or the other and it yeah. kind of feels like a different life almost. But I, some of that, what, what you described kind of brings, um, some of the stuff like Dave Grohl has talked about which is kind of like obviously he uh he was in a in a in a massively massively successful band but yeah. to me it seems like if you can manage to focus on the the thing itself that you're doing like if your love to the music and your focus on the music is a priority then maybe that's going to guide some of your behavior Away from mm. some of the kind of satellite themes and focus on the music, like I think Dave Grohl said, he just wanted to buy a new grill and and you know with the money he got, and yeah. then just you know cook uh, cook some barbecue. But mm. um, but yeah, I think what you what you said is also super important because it is. I don't think there is one answer to it. Like it it in most cases it's probably like a multi-dimensional thing where you your you know. Girl, girlfriend, or boyfriend uh, plays a role, and your family plays a role, and your friends. So, but yeah, uh, it's not always very clear <laughs> where uh, right. where a lot of the influence comes from. But uh, you obviously have mm-hmm. a, a uh, your surname strikes me as Scandinavian. Is that very much so? Yes. Yeah. So, is that something like? Are your parents from there, or does it go back in time more? Do you do you know mm-hmm. where those roots come from?
0: You know, it's funny is so so my full name Stefan Anders Runstrom is like obviously very Scandinavian. And uh, my the other guy here at circles, Tyler Lindgren, also has uh, very deep um, Norwegian roots. And we we looked back, I did a 23andMe, I'm like 50%. It's unclear whether it's it's Norway or Sweden, but we both have, according to genetic testing, We both have this particular part of Norway. I think it's like the Hordaland or something. I can't remember. Uh, I want to say it's like the southwest part of Norway where we both date back to. We both have family there. And we ended up going to school together. And now he's part of this company. So I find that very interesting. But uh, I think it was my great-grandfather that immigrated, great-grandparents that immigrated here in 1917, 1916 or 17. I think from Norway or from Sweden. I don't know. The family, the family stuff gets gets tricky. And I think for the longest time everybody thought we were Swedish, but we're actually Norwegian. So there's that. And uh but my my grandfather was born here, my dad's dad was born here in 1917, like straight off the boat. So I'm I'm two generations, two and basically three generations removed from from the homeland.
1: Yeah. Cool. Um, jumping back to, um, to the kind of early, early life stuff, how was Mm -hmm. music sort of introduced to your life? Like, were you guided to do it or did you sort of happen to stumble into it over time?
0: My dad played drums and we had a drum set in the basement. That was the biggest thing. And he taught me my first like drum beat. So that was, I would say that's kind of when everything started. That's before I conceptually knew like what music was or how to make it at all. So we had a, a drum set. We had a piano that I used to just kind of like dink around on and make melodies. Didn't learn guitar or bass or anything, any stringed instrument ever. And I kind of I wished I would have done that earlier on because it took me a while to learn that shit like as an adult i can play i couldn't play any any like melodic instrument or sing I still can't sing but i can pl- i can play guitar and bass and piano now but i didn't i couldn't do any of that until i was like 23 or something so i i learned i'm like a late learner with that stuff but going back it was it was drum. it was having a drum set having drums in my house in my basement and then just kind of learning them and then starting to identify As a drummer was probably the biggest thing where i go okay i can play like i'm better than all my friends well not better but like i can do something they they can't do so i'm like oh like i'm a drummer now like i'm a a real drummer and then started to do that in school and stuff and then i think once i started to identify as that and then start going to drum clinics and taking private drum lessons and then then it becomes your identity and then you become um that's just kind of what you do and then people start looking at you like that like oh he's a drummer he should play in our band and stuff so that's that's kind of how i started and i got i think i got i think it was easy for me to pick up this the the drums like i definitely played a lot but it felt it felt like pretty pretty easy to to pick up to start playing and that was nice because I didn't really hit anything, any roadblocks where I was like, "Oh, I'm terrible. I can't do this certain thing. I'm just gonna give up." Like it always felt like I had like a natural sort of progression into, into playing better. And then I started to get worse. Now, um, I'm probably I was probably a better drummer at 17 than I am now.
1: Yeah, I think I'm I'm kind of in the same ballpark. Probably not 17, but like um, I started taking drum lessons. I think it was uh, like during third grade or something like that, or maybe second, maybe second grade. And basically, I was driving back home from school. I wasn't driving, but my dad was driving. We were in the car, and he asked me and my brother, like, what do you want to play? Like, pick an instrument. And Mm -hmm. I had this friend at school called uh, Lottie, who is still a good friend of mine, amazing drummer and i thought he was super cool because he had actually asked the teacher if he if he could bring his drum kit to school and this was like during first grade and he uh, asked if he could oh. play play a track for all of us at school and he did that and that was like <laughs> obviously a super weird thing to do but i thought <laughs> drumming was pretty cool and and cool. Uh, he was pretty cool and then i picked up uh, a drum kit and my dad also had a kit in the basement and uh Mm -hmm. i remember when i went to the because they had some sort of like a like a test or like um what's the word or you had to kind of audition to to be Mm -hmm. able to go into the music school and they played like a drum beat in front of me and said like can you play that well first of all they asked me if i had ever touched a a drum kit and i really haven't hadn't done that and they played Mm -hmm. like a basic beat and then they just told me to copy it, and I could do that pretty well. And and uh, they were kind of surprised that I haven't actually played drums ever. But uh, I still that's had cool. still I still had no idea what it was doing. But
0: uh, yeah, but you I, were natural.
1: yeah yeah, and I think that's a super important thing because I think some people might be sort of um, hitting their heads again against the wall with something that might be less than ideal for them because pretty much everyone yeah. that i know to be uh really good at what they do they are some kind of natural in what they're doing yeah and i say that to kind of dis- um, not discourage but encourage people to maybe test something else because there's probably something out there that comes naturally to you um, right. and if you want to be you know any sort of professional in in doing this then it it makes sense to play into your strengths but yeah
0: uh, i agree that's a good point did you do you still play drums
1: uh sort of i mean i don't actually yeah. have a physical drum kit anymore I'm, I'm constantly you know playing with my hands and like i think so. a lot of that keeps the you know the neural connections going so i don't yeah. actually think i'm any worse as a drummer than i was you know i don't know uh 10 years ago when I was actually still playing an actual drum kit. I think I'm actually mm-hmm. better because I'm keeping the, you know, the the neural pathways active and I'm actually yeah. better than I was before, but I haven't touched a pair of drumsticks in like, I don't know, at least five to seven years or something like
0: that. Oh, damn. Yeah. So
1: I, I play all of my drumming on this keyboard <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> playing MIDI. And so it's kind Basically,
0: of... Basically me too, man. Honestly, like I don't... <laughs> I have so many great drums and mics 10 feet away and I'm just all the time I'm just doing this because it's so much easier. And I'm such a better such a better drummer on my fingers than I am. Well, I don't know about that, but I'm pretty good. I've gotten pretty good at it.
1: Yeah, I'm probably somewhere in between. I'm definitely better on a kit because I haven't really, you know, it's kind of like I'm better at playing obviously the, the piano with all of my fingers, but the drum kit, like it's a bit different, but, um, it's definitely a useful skill, like if you're a music producer yeah. or or anything like that.
0: yeah. and I think it's useful to to know how to articulate drum parts, even if you can't play to to you know mouth drum them or uh, or even on a keyboard or whatever just to just to be able to have that <clears throat> because it's like it's so much of a song, it's so much of a structure of something. to be able to articulate rhythm, I think gives you such an advantage over. I think if you were to choose between, well, no, I shouldn't say that. I, th- I think it's, I think it's important. The, my favorite producers I've worked with have always been like drum-focused ones, ones that understood like how to speak my language. I think the end result was always infinitely better, at least from my perspective. What I was going to say is, I, I think it's maybe more important to understand rhythm than melody. But I only say that because I understand rhythm better than melody myself. And I don't really think that's true, but I think it's it's helpful to know both.
1: Yeah. And I think something that I've been observing and kind of developing as a theory in my head, just from like anecdotal experience, drummers that I know who are good drummers and have transitioned into music production or playing keys or, or whatever else that usually goes down better than having a keyboardist trying to move into a rhythm section type of a thing. It, it just doesn't, the feel is off the, it just doesn't work as well. But I think if you, if you are, if you train yourself to be a great drummer, that translates, very well to the keyboard and 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 music production, certainly, mm-hmm. especially with the technology we have and the sounds we have at our disposal if yeah. if you if you can really lock down the the rhythm aspect of music then then you do have a i I'd say a far stronger gateway into mm-hmm. uh, the melodic stuff. but um yeah, there's something about the kind of the vibe and and the also understanding texture in terms of like drum sounds and percussion and and yes yeah I think it's There's
0: something I always think of like drummers have this ability to like construct things like on layers I I always think of uh like a like a singer or a singer songwriter type like they're sort of they're sort of like mystical or something to me like they're kind of floaty on the top and they're. I don't know I just this is just how I visualize them in in my head like when I when I'm writing something I look at it like okay here's the bass layer here's drums and then now I can build on top of it and I feel like I've talked to other drummers that feel that have transitioned into into production Um, because I think if you want to stay in this industry it's kind of a necessity to do that at some point to understand the production side of it I think it's really helpful but I do Similarly, that it is like this, this construction, this like base layer, next layer, next layer, next layer, and I don't know what that is, but that is definitely a common thing that I've that I've felt from other drummers too.
1: Yeah, I think some of it must come from the fact that the drum kit essentially consists of all the um, different areas of the the full frequency spectrum. So right. the kick is obviously down in the, the low end, then you have wow. toms which sort of reside in the the lower mids and then you have snare uh, and so forth and you go into cymbals which mm-hmm. vary in brightness, but that kind of inherently builds an understanding of um, the kind of the, the spectral aspect of, of, of music. Totally. And if you're mm-hmm. a pianist, obviously you have a low end, you have a high end, you have mids, but also the the richness of the texture. It, or, or the should I say the the contrast between the the individual elements isn't mm-hmm. as high because a piano sounds like a piano whether you play it from the low end to yeah. the high end. But a drum kit is literally different drums and, and different symbols mm-hmm. that you're uh, utilizing. So I think that kind of yeah. creates a more of a modular environment.
0: You're totally right. And I, as you were saying, I remember <clears throat> hearing Dave Grohl talk about that too, where I think he like, he related his guitar playing to how he would how he played drums. I th- I forget which song he was referencing. Like, it might have been like the Pretender or something. And he was he was talking about the guitar part, <clears throat> basically writing it from a drum perspective. I think he writes a lot of things like that. Um, and it was like having this bass layer, then having having the hi hat be the thing on top or whatever, and. It made so much sense in my head when he said that like god i totally relate to that that's like that's how i conceive of music too so it's it's fascinating i think everybody's like fundamental approach to what they see in their head whether it's like what their daw looks like when they make music or like if they're just going on their voice memos or whatever how they're recording it how they're conceiving of it's always been so fascinating to me
1: yeah i've seen that same clip and i remember thinking the same thing as well Because it's like he, I, I I do remember he 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 talked about it in a very you know rhythmic way and kind of breaking down the kind of something hi hat like into
0: a yeah snare and a what kick. song was it do you remember
1: no I I think you might yeah. be right about the pretender but because it kind of has it has an interesting kind of that rhythmic rhythmical uh, pattern mm-hmm. but I don't I don't I'm not sure. Maybe I'll dig it up and put it into the links.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Cool.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, was there any sort of a, you talked about identity and how that links to being a musician. Was there any kind of a single point where, where you realized that music or, or being creative was what you wanted to do in life like was there a single moment or was it like a gradual process or was it something that was always there
0: um god it's kind of like it's a two-part i think it's a two-part answer i think initially i didn't when i started playing drums and getting into bands I was creative to a certain extent, but I'm also fulfilling the role of a drummer in that I'm like, okay, here's this band, here's this song, I'll contribute, sure, but at the end of the day, I'm sort of beholden to these other people involved, and I will do my best to make this thing better. And that is different than what I do now, which is like, I don't report to anybody, I don't really collaborate with anybody and that's somewhat intentional because i got really tired of being creative in the way that was like of service to other people whereas now i get to make music i mean it's instrumental stuff but i get to make these instrumental tracks i get to make these videos that uh complement them and i get to design my own website and uh, come up with these sample libraries and then piece them together and That kind of creativity is something I'm like, just kind of learning now, which is like understanding my process and how I make music and even what like my melodies sound like and shit. And um, that's something I've learned much later in life. But when I was just playing in bands, I was just like constantly frustrated all the time that I couldn't fully exert my whatever's inside of me, whatever I'm trying to get out. And this is this is something I've totally pieced together again, looking back, looking back like 10, 15 years, and being like, oh, I was uncomfortable or insecure because like I just wasn't, I just wasn't letting the sh- the stuff out of me that I wanted to get out of me. So, being being creative now, being um, having having no um, nobody between me and the end product. Is very gratifying and i really like the position i'm in now versus just being a drummer in a band which i honestly don't know if i could i could go back to unless i absolutely loved everybody involved yeah like, gonna, not, i don't even care how much you pay me i don't think i could do it
1: yeah that sounds strikingly similar to my 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 past Does it? yeah yeah because like um I, I love working with other people when it really clicks. Like the chemistry, when it's right, it mm. it is easy and it is very pleasant. But I think for me that that happens, uh, like it requires certain types of people and it is more rare than than I, well, it is rare. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um. And for me, like I've been blessed, like growing up, I was working with a bunch of really talented musicians and i learned a ton from them but i was simultaneously emotionally kind of suffocating because i wasn't doing my thing and i've always yeah. been someone who had to do their own thing so for me maybe Did you for, know that At um, the time? i think on an emotional level yeah but articulating yeah. that practically to myself no and and i think i was kind of adjusting myself too much in relation to other people accommodating you know their emotional space and their ideas and mm-hmm. and I wasn't as assertive as you know what would have been good for me so mm-hmm. I only started really doing my thing after the age of like I don't know 20 or or something like that mm-hmm. um so but you know it it comes with positives and negatives like I learned so much from these guys but simultaneously the music we were making didn't really didn't really belong to me and and, and it didn't i didn't feel certainly fulfilled in the process because i felt felt like there was a bit maybe too much ego in there and i'm i'm very you know i'm fine with people having big egos but if if it's not managed then it becomes very you know suffocating to me like yeah. i like when people give space to other people and yeah so
0: what what uh was it i'm curious how the ego manifested for these people around you was it like um creative or did it did it go into other areas you know
1: i don't think there was anything inherently i'd say Bad or malicious about it, like I I th- genuinely think it's uh it's a matter of temperament, like the matter of my chemistry meeting someone else's chemistry, and it just grinded in a very corrosive way. Ultimately, to you know, mm-hmm. for me, because I never really felt like I could be creatively open in in that collaboration. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think it's anyone's fault. I think it was kind of just a bad match in that way. Yeah. Which is why I, I think I, I should have just, you know, gone on my own journey earlier and be sort of more assertive with that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But again, I'm super grateful for those times because I learned so much. Like they were insanely talented and creative people. Um, but, but yeah, chemistry is is huge. And, and that's important to understand because nothing might be, you know, wrong. Otherwise, in terms of that collaboration, like it might not be like a toxic environment. It's simply like, do you, does it feel good? Yeah. Like, does it click properly and naturally? And if it does, then great. But if not, then maybe it's time to do something else or, you know, certainly try and talk about it. But, um, yeah, I'm always
0: astounded at musicians ability to, to like, work so hard at stuff that doesn't need to be hard. Like, um being in bands, especially too, you're like, you're devoting so much time and energy and resources to even just like play a show or whatever. Like, <clears throat> I don't think most people understand how difficult it is to just get your stuff together and go play a show and prepare for it and do all that. Like it's, and and not get paid for it. And that's like status quo. Um And that after like so many years is like, is so hard. And then it becomes sort of ingrained like, Oh, this industry is just, this is just impossibly difficult. And that's just what it is. And then I think when you start going rogue or on your own or figuring out what It is that you like and then it becomes easy and then then it's like oh this was here all along like I could I could just make a living in this industry I mean it's not it's not like it's easy but once you get to a point where you can you can kind of look back and you're like my god I worked so hard to make no money for so long and if you're lucky enough to get to a point where you're actually sustainable in this industry it's like it's like winning the lottery and when the amount of effort feels appropriate and the amount of like resistance feels appropriate is like so liberating and freeing. And I'm, I've finally, I think, gotten to that point after almost 20 years of, of suffering, you know, it feels like, and I don't know if that's unique to this industry or I don't know, maybe that's just life in general, but the music industry, especially is, is so good at, um, at just like churning people up. It's tough. Yeah, I think we can all relate too. It's just like every musician I know that is still working that is that is my age is is uh, has been through so much.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's I I know I have a bunch of friends who are in bands right now, and you know most of them are probably around the same age as I am. So you know thirty, give or take a a couple of years or a few years. And yeah. I am, as well, like continuously just astounded how much effort and time they put into it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and um. Y- you know, not really seeing how the how the output of that justifies it. Obviously, this mm-hmm. is a sub subjective call. Like, I'm not judging anyone's decisions or or cool. what they want to do. Um, and obviously you get so much out of being a band other than yeah. the, the you know the monetary or whatever other you know gains you 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 make from the band like that's a family and in that that can be like a very important part of your your life but mm-hmm. but i know exactly what you mean obviously i i haven't experienced success on, on a level that that you've done with with circles for example or or with your band but yeah. uh still like to me, like th- being a composer and, and doing what I do is, is a very lean operation and it's, it's kind of an yeah. efficient operation. Like, I know that I can go into the studio and make progress today, and I mm-hmm. see a direct relationship between an input and an output, and yeah. it feels very good, and I can get so much done. Whereas mm-hmm. with a band, like, it's it's a lot of like the more people you have involved, the longer things take like it, things become infinitely more complex as you begin to add people, getting them to the same place and, you know, managing chemistry and, and mindset and and motivation and what, whatever else, like it, it's a massive undertaking. And I really actually yeah. look up to a lot of the mental strength that a lot of these these people have, because it is yeah. tough to have a functioning and successful band or at least a band that's trying to become successful. Like it's a massive undertaking. It's I think it's yeah. drastically underestimated how difficult and taxing it is. And I, I yeah. wouldn't like, I am I still wanna m- play live shows sometime in the future, as soon mm-hmm. as I get my singer songwriter stuff figured out. But yeah. it's, I'm not gonna do that if there's no money involved. Like yeah. I, I would not feel good about taking guys on stage at this stage at this stage without any any money so I would have to see some kind of success first you know Mm -hmm. purely with the music and then we can look at the live stuff but
0: right but yeah so hard is uh what went on in Finland over the past couple years was it like um were things open like can you go play show like right now or
1: nope it's been basically shut down for the entire time and I have a lot of friends who are in the music industry so locally in Finland doing it professionally yeah. and and it's not good it, it, really? they, they don't have a, a job essentially they can't play any yeah. gigs and they are being quite loud about it uh, which is good mm-hmm. obviously yeah. um, but I don't know the, the government is seems to be completely unaware of how the culture industry works as a whole like how does music yeah. work how does how do venues work they just don't seem to understand mm. the importance and the value of that but i don't know i hope i hope they can get back into making a living soon but it's it's hasn't yeah. been
0: good is uh is finland's approach different than Sweden or or Norway like are you guys similar culturally and politically or is it is it pretty drastically different
1: I'd say in some ways it's rather different I mean obviously like usually like we we're part of the Nordic countries which are usually like Finland Sweden Norway Denmark Maybe Iceland, I'm not sure, but then then you have Scandinavia, which is Sweden, Norway, Denmark, and maybe Iceland, I'm sorry I don't remember, but anyway yeah. that like that Scandinavia is very much more alike than what Finland is similar to them, but in many okay. ways like maybe some food f- uh, food aspects of the culture are are similar. the language is completely different um so.
0: English is amazing by the way.
1: No thanks. It's you can well I I can thank my father for that. So Really? Yeah. He speaks nothing but English to me. So
0: Really? Interesting.
1: Yeah, it's it's a bit of a long story, but I I guess condensed is that he he's an English teacher and he oh, okay. read this weird study at some point before my brother and and I was born that if you <laughs> sp- just speak a language to to a kid it can be multiple languages. They just learn mm. how it works. And he hasn't spoken a word of Finnish to either one of us ever since. So,
0: No shit, really? Yeah. I wish my parents would have done that with some language other than English.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's what almost everyone says when I share that story.
0: I'm sure. And it's yeah. like
1: I, I'm, I'm so grateful, um, especially because English for me seems to be – not seems to be – it is more – like I find it way more comfortable than Finnish. Really? Yeah. Like Finnish feels a bit awkward in in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and and also like creatively, uh, English is a lot. It's just better for me. Like in terms yeah. of writing lyrics or or whatever
0: else. So mm, is it helpful in the music industry to speak? To, to be as fluent as you are in English in any way.
1: Um, do you mean like, in, in what sort of a way?
0: I don't know, I'm just trying to think like um, we've been, uh, Circles has been working with this um, design company in Berlin and a, and a coder in Stockholm. And they're both, you know, they're both born and raised in, in their respective countries, and both speak English so well and and speak English design so well, where it's like um, they're they're converting this creative language in their head of like maybe they have a German word for it or whatever, but they're translating it to English like this is, um, you know, the opacity of this doesn't really match the functionality over here, etc, etc. And I'm like, every time I talk to them, I'm like, I'm so amazed that you're able to translate these high level creative design ideas through German language first and then into English. Maybe because I'm not bilingual, I don't understand. Maybe this is easier than 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 I think it is. But to me, I'm just I'm astounded by it and um, that they're able to do this. And the only way that we're able to work with them is because they've accommodated our language, you know, the American English language is the only reason they're able to work with us. And so it's like, you know, if they just spoke German, this this whole thing wouldn't wouldn't work. You know, we couldn't work with them, and so I'm just—I don't know—I'm just fascinated by people that are able to speak multiple languages.
1: Yeah, I think the the main, obviously, the, well, not perhaps not obviously, but to my understanding, the biggest benefit is just how it helps with a bunch of brain development stuff. So, uh, I think the research on that is rather clear. So that's really the the biggest benefit. Obviously, then you have the practical benefit of speaking the the languages, but for me, unfortunately, like I don't do a bunch of stuff that is very kind of local in Finland, and okay. honestly, a lot of the uh, like a lot of the cultural things in Finland are kind of far away from what I like to do. You know, the the aesthetics yeah. of of the culture and what people enjoy and want to listen to. I don't like to write lyrics in Finnish. Uh, so it's there's not a lot of stuff there that I can leverage specifically yeah. but but otherwise fin, Finnish is a beautiful language and it is a very difficult language so hmm. it's I think probably learning both has been a, a very big blessing but yeah. Um, yeah I think the more languages you can speak obviously that's better for brain development and but you know if you if you know some some languages that are perhaps more useful than finnish at a global scale that's obviously better right. yeah like spanish or chinese mm-hmm. or or <laughs> something like that so
0: yeah i i i don't know any other languages i mean in in america you well, at least in most it seems like most parts of of the us there's like you're kind of required to take a couple two or three four years of, of a language or whatever and most people end up taking Spanish and French or whatever and and then it's just lost we just lose it all completely every single like everybody I know I don't know anybody that can speak a fluent second language I don't think maybe like one or two people and that's got to seem so ridiculous to everyone in Europe that it's sort of I don't know it seems like the standard to be able to speak more than one language or at least understand it when I went to Italy for uh, our honeymoon, this was like ten years ago. We went to um, Rome, and then we went to uh, Tuscany and Venice. And I had this um, this CD. It was like the burlett CD that's like learn Italian. And um, so I didn't I didn't read or write or like learn specific words. I just listened to this this CD and copied these um, these phrases basically. Like, uh, can you recommend a hotel or what's, uh, you know, what is the, where's the bathroom? I would like an espresso, et cetera, et cetera, just the basic dumb shit. And I I've learned it so well because I think being a musician that helped me, like, you know, mouth it out and like pre- basically pretend I was Italian, I learned it so well that they'd respond back to me in, in Italian and I would have no fucking clue what they were saying. <laughs> but like, it was, uh, I think they appreciated it, my effort. But I I knew those phrases so well that I could I could say it, but you know, I couldn't comprehend it necessarily. That's the closest I got, I think, to learning a second language.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's definitely useful, and hopefully for most people they're not Finnish because the utility of that is pretty limited. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is a beautiful language. Like otherwise, yeah, it, it's. I mean. I think Tolkien, when he created the Elvish language for mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, I think a big chunk of that is based on, on Finnish. Really? Um, so if you pronounce it in a soft enough way, then then uh, maybe you could you know, be considered an elf in some parts of the world. <laughs> I don't know. But also you can speak Finnish in a very kind of raw and brutal way. Like there's a lot of uh, consonants, consonants, so like R's and K's and mm-hmm. T's and stuff. So you can make it yeah. aggressive sounding as well.
0: <laughs> That's so, so funny.
1: There's this good video where there's a old guy living in the woods in a cabin, and there's a bear mm-hmm. outside and the bear is going through his trash. And the guy opens up the window and shouts, Berkele, which basically is like this it's like the common, uh, it's like saying, God damn it or something, but it's uh. like this, uh, famous Finnish, uh, curse word and the bear <laughs> gets so scared. Like it runs into the woods <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck was that?
0: Uh, so that's yeah. the trick. So when I, when I run into a bear here, I just, I just say that.
1: Yeah. You should shout Perkele, and, uh, <laughs> it, it's going to work every single time.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah. Um, if I if I try and wrap up the the kind of the early part of your life here, um, I I keep asking this question. I'm not sure if it's a good one, but I'll I'll keep doing it anyway. Um, so I have this kind of theory that people who end up being creatives, they sort of retain something from their childhood. Maybe maybe it's open-mindedness. Maybe it's this sort of, I don't know. I guess open-mindedness is the is the best way of putting it. And you sort of you're capable of bringing that into your adulthood. So mm-hmm. do you think that sort of applies to you? And maybe like you could talk a bit about what kind of a kid you were overall speaking like personality wise. And, and mm-hmm. if this applies to you, then how did you kind of manage to bring that into,
0: <laughs> into where you are right now? Wow. That's a great question. Um, I was definitely, definitely a creative kid. Like, Um, my dad recently made this uh this was actually some time ago this was right before my wife and I got married and we had this big like party at my parents house um my dad had made this video from all this footage that I had taken with a video camera from when I was a kid and I was making all of these little movies. I was filming myself play the piano and uh, playing drums and little skits. And like, it was just, it was so fucking embarrassing, but it reminded me that like, oh, I've always been like the same. Like I, I literally do that same shit today where it's like, my whole job is predicated on making little movies and you know, it's Instagram videos and like playing drums and like, it just it makes me laugh at myself and laugh at my occupation now because it's like, I've been doing this my whole life. It's just, now it's like, I've, I've learned to uh, monetize it. (laughs) Looking back, I was definitely free. Um, I was free to create and I was free to um, have that space to do that. And I'm, I'm really lucky I had that. And, uh, and my parents definitely encouraged it too. So, yeah, I th- I think a lot of what happened is in my older life was trying to get back into that space that I was when I first started making and creating stuff. Like, I think I got corrupted midlife a little bit in, in um, you know, like we were talking about, like being in bands and also just like being a teenager, like... Is, is hard enough and then you're thinking about all this other shit like you know girls and school and and then you start smoking weed or whatever and then you sort of like lose at least for me like i lost i feel like i lost this middle gap of my life that was like i was super creative and weird and dorky and then like puberty hit and i was like oh no like i gotta be cool now and be like everybody else blah 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 <clears throat> and then now I'm like, no, 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 no. I got to, I got to rediscover like what I actually am, what I like to make. And I, I'm, I'm still, I still feel young in that. And I do feel like I lost like this middle portion, but early on, I definitely had the freedom to express myself. And that was made evidently clear in this hugely embarrassing video that my dad put together of me just being a kid. So it was interesting to see
1: Yeah. It's that purity of, of essence. Like, that's, I don't uh-huh. know. Yeah. Um, cool. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So let's finally jump into circles, drum samples a bit more. Um, there are many people out there, you know, musicians, entrepreneurs who are thinking about doing something similar. Hopefully mm-hmm. a few of them are watching this podcast, but mm-hmm. we'll have to see. Um, maybe we could sort of go... the through the journey of it, uh, I think there's gonna be a lot of utility for for people. Um, mm. And there seems to be, you know, unfortunately little content around, you know, these kind of um, journeys or processes. Mm. So um, hopefully we can amend a bit of that. But um, so you started circles in 2016, but uh, yeah. yeah. But when was the, when did you first sort of get the idea for it? Was there like an, an immediate moment of realization? Or was it again, like a gradual process? Obviously, you have to acquire skills and knowledge over time. But, but was there like a moment when it sort of, uh, you know, lightning struck from the sky? And did you did you kind of realize you wanted to do it? Or was it again, like a gradual thing?
0: No, it was, uh, it wasn't, it was very intentional. So I had this, I had Two ideas of like creative ventures that I wanted to do. One was this like I had this idea for an iOS app, mobile app. The other was uh, this drum sample library, and they're both sort of like rhythm centric, drum focused stuff. And it was like, okay, you know, I'm kind of an audio engineer. I'm a drummer. I kind of want to do one of these things and just see how it goes. And my first sort of creative um, entrepreneurial venture. And I, on two big sketch pads, I I like wrote out the, you know, the sort of the plan for the mobile app and on the other one, I wrote the plan for the drum sample library and I presented them both to my wife and I was like, okay, so like, here's this idea, here's this one, like, which one should I do? What do you think? And as I was presenting it, I was like, I was like, I'm going to do the drum sample thing. Like, I think I can do this and I think I can make it work. And I was, I was surprised by that because I'd spent all this time and energy working on this mobile app idea and talking to developers and stuff. And it just it just wasn't right for the time. So I decided to do the drum sample thing. And so from there, it was like, okay, so I, I'm broke. I am actually in debt. So how do I pay for this? A, how much is it gonna cost? How do I pay for this? And how am I logistically going to do it? and i had to teach myself how to do everything too because at at this point i don't think i'd even program drums like once i was a drummer so i was like i never had to do that so i had to teach myself basically everything and so from there it was it was getting money it was like okay i think i need i think i needed about twenty five thousand to do everything like right And that includes everything, that includes the recording, that includes paying me minimum minimum wage, below minimum wage, probably like a dollar an hour at the end of it, probably less. Um, Website, graphic design, buying all the programs I need, buying the hardware I need, renting a studio. It's funny, I actually lived in LA during this time. When I started Circles, I lived in Los Angeles, had a studio, had a drum set, I'm an able-bodied drummer, and I didn't do any session work. I didn't do like barely any. I didn't didn't do any tours, didn't play any shows, and it was like the weirdest time to be in LA for that because I'm paying this crazy rent for a studio and an apartment, and I'm just like, no, I'm going to do my own thing that I could do anywhere. But I'm just happened to be in LA. It was really silly looking back on it, but I'd spent. Um, you know all this time researching everything and and so so going back um i knew i needed money so i had to borrow money I had to borrow twenty five thousand. called andrew berlin who's a friend and mix engineer audio engineer here in town at the blasting room which is a studio we've done circles has done basically everything at and said hey i want to do the sample library can you help me do it um let me book two weeks with you and that was you know, however much two weeks cost at a studio. It was a lot. Went in there, recorded a bunch of drums, didn't really know what I was doing, but recorded in like three different rooms. It was exhausting. Like I wasn't sleeping very well. I had a video guy come in on day like nine or 10 and like, just film me and do like an interview and stuff. And I look back on the footage and I was like, I just look so exhausted and so wrecked. And it just, it was, it was hard. The whole experience was hard. It was expensive. Didn't know what I was doing. I left the studio with this hard drive just full of drum samples. And I'm like, okay, well, like now what the fuck do I do?
1: I bet you walked really carefully with that one. I did, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, it was weird to walk away with that because I'm like, okay, I've got like $25,000 worth of stuff on this hard drive. Um, Went back home to LA and... Started just parsing through stuff, YouTube university for things I didn't understand, whether it was like contact library stuff or building website stuff or marketing. I just, I learned it all on my own. Didn't really have anybody to help me through that. And launched in, I guess it was 2016 or 17, I can't remember. And (laughs) I had uh, all these, Financial projections of what the company was going to do, you know, because I'm going to put out a product and I'm I'm going to make if everything adds up, like oh, I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollars on this, like no problem. Like look at the projections there, right? Here. <laughs> so of course I put it out and it doesn't do anything. <laughs> like nobody gives a shit. I sold, I think it was like one library for like sixty bucks, and it was I sold maybe maybe two, two or three in the first day. And they were my friends that just bought it because they felt bad for me. <laughs> and then it was like every, maybe once a day, somebody would download something or maybe a week would go by and then some guy would come in and download it. And so the first year I was like, I don't know how much circles made, a couple thousand, right, total. Which isn't nothing, but it, it wasn't sustainable. And so then made a second library uh called that one garage and that's when my buddy tyler came up to my garage and we just recorded a bunch of really great sounding drums here and in an attempt to sort of right the wrongs of the previous library or what i thought were wrongs which was like not getting enough samples not making enough cohesive virtual uh instruments of of the drums and having that be really useful in a in a programmer or sort of a sampler environment so, very deep sampled and had my friend Jason Livermore, who's um, who mixes like Rise Against and Descendants and stuff, great mixing engineer. He mixed it. And I was like, okay, the first library didn't go, but number two, this fucker's gonna go. And put it out and nothing really happened again. And I tried running these ads for it and it was like, it just wasn't, it just wasn't really going. You know, it was um, it was it was a struggle to to make it profitable, basically. So we have library one, library two. Did a third library, did a fourth library. This is when we went out in the desert and recorded in the desert for stuff. And then I sampled this whirlitzer Sideman, which is like one of the world's first drum machines. And so we got four libraries, and they're doing okay. Like they're th- things are going okay.
1: And what was We're the not, the year year at this point? Like, how much time had passed?
0: This was probably twenty eighteen, like mid 2018, 2019. So it'd been off and on. I was also working another job part time remotely. Um, so you know, been about two two and a half years or something like that. And then. At this point, though, it's like, okay, I wasn't making I wasn't making that much money, but it, I was. It wasn't nothing. It was still. I forget how much it was, but it was, it was enough to be like, oh, that's that's a good side hustle. Like this is bringing in some little extra income every year, and it's it's helping pad and helping me pay for rent and stuff, and and it it was that was nice. And the other part that's nice was not nice, but it was helpful to. To see this this progress, where you know every library wasn't wasn't blown up, I wasn't going crazy, but I could see like over time, like okay, the revenue is going up, like the trajectory is good here. Like in in maybe five years, this would be sustainable if I keep doing it. But I was getting very burnt out at this point too. It was it was very similar to the thing that had happened earlier in my life, where I was like getting jaded about music again, and that was really hard. But the thing that changed everything was this library called dead that we put out in may I think it was may 2019 and it happened on a whim my sister was having a baby shower here in fort collins and i was living in pittsburgh at this point point. and i flew back here and um they had just opened up this new room at the blaster room studios here in in fort collins and it was this small room, probably about the size of the room I'm in now. Just like a, it's called like Studio C, and it was a John Brandt design. Who's this great room designer? And Andrew was like, Hey, we haven't recorded drums in here. Do you want to come in and record some drums in here? We'll do like a little mini sample library. I was like, That sounds fucking awesome. Let's do that. So I came in for three days. It was so it was the chillest thing I've ever done. It was just me and Andrew. I had my friends come in. My sister came in. We're just like, Hey, what's up? You know, like foreign mezcal we're just fucking around really and um did the library and i was like that was fun." like this probably isn't gonna do anything i'll put it out anyways i'll make it cheap too i'll make it like 35 bucks whatever fuck it you know and um so i put together this really fun like little video for it and it had this really catchy like baseline and uh when we recorded, I had all these GoPros. So I, you know, I, I was able to put together this like catchy looking fun video for it. I was like, this is just fun, you know, like so I'm just screwing around. It's like the first library I had fun with. Put that out. And day one was like a thousand dollars in sales. And I was like, oh, okay, that's different. Day two was like eleven $1, hundred in sales. Day three was like nine hundred in sales. And then it, it continued that way for like a week. And it was like, something like that. And it was like, did I just make $7,000 in seven days? That's more than I made the entirety of last year. And so that's when like everything, everything changed after that. And it was, it was definitely a fluke, but it was also, it pointed to like something else. It pointed to like, you kind of have to have your ducks in a row for this shit, you have to have, the product has to be really good and you have to spend time making sure that it's good. You have to relate that to people. People need to understand that this is really good. They have to be willing to pay $35, which may not seem like a lot, but it's a lot to musicians. They have to want to pay this and they have to feel like they're getting value out of it. And like, I didn't know I was doing that at the time, but I it, it was apparent when that amount of people decided to give me that amount of money and it added up to this greater sum, which is now, um, sustainable to, to it's my job now, but I had to go, I had to have that experience. It's kind of like getting a record deal. It's Like this was so unexpected, but it taught me that this, this is, there's actually a future here and this is sustainable. So from that dead library on like everything, everything has changed.
1: Isn't that kind of interesting how like obviously there w- were many factors and and all of the work that you had done prior to releasing dead uh, uh, one, but uh, mm. but how like you you described that the process was very kind of natural and laid back and sort of you know, yeah. shooting from the hip uh, so it's it's kind of like do you have any did you did you learn something about that process that you've taken? you know, forward from, from there? Like, is there Mm -hmm. like a, an approach to your sessions now or like a mental, mental Mm -hmm. approach at the very least of, of like, I I guess staying relaxed and, and, and doing doing things for the fun of it as well.
0: Yes, it is good. It's really good to have fun. (laughs) It sounds so (laughs) dumb to say that out loud, but you know, it's like, it helps, it helps just kind of lube everything up a little bit. Like if you're having fun, there's no stress and there shouldn't be. Because it's like the, what what I do is so ridiculous anyways. Like when I really think about what I do, I'm like, I laugh about it all the time. I'm like, this is the most ridiculous job ever. Like the shit I do is so stupid sometimes. And so if I, if I bring that in, in a less self-deprecating way, but if I bring that mentality in, it's really helpful. But I will say I'm also really bad at doing that. I struggle to have fun in these sessions because because I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm the CEO, I'm the owner. Like this is going to reflect on me. Like I need to, I need to make sure this product's really good. But it's like that that mentality never helps anything. It's it's always so much better to to be free and to be to be loose. And as much of that that you can bring in with your, I don't want to call it professionalism, but with your sort of like. Um, your ability to know what you need to get, you know what you need to walk away with from the studio and if you can have fun is the perfect the perfect uh pieces.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a tricky balance because you do have these responsibilities and 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 like a schedule running, money's running and you need to make sure that yeah. it happens. Do you have like do you handle the the management to make sure that all the samples are recorded um as they should be? Do you have someone else doing that for you now or do you still do it yourself and do you think if you didn't do it yourself could you kind of be more uh, i guess laid back or or free to, yeah. to do what what it is that you need to do which is play drums and and hopefully i don't know have okay. fun if possible
0: <laughs> what i would like to do and i'll answer that question in a second but what i would like to do is just i want all my tasks to be creative i don't want them to be Uh, repetitive and mundane and so I do all the editing and I do all the all the chopping of samples all the editing all the naming all the bouncing all the presets for the most part is all me and those tasks I don't I don't really want to do anymore because they're so time-consuming and now I can now I can actually afford to pay somebody to do those other things um but before that and and still i'm still working through this and i don't know i don't think this struggle is um solely my own because i've heard other company owners talk about this where it's like it's hard to give up um it's hard to give up control over some of these elements because part of what makes circles good in my opinion is is attention to these little details that i've been able to to learn how to do over so many years like in terms of loops or sample world editing there's a very specific way that those loops should be edited to feel human um how they loop together the loopability of a loop the um the, the way it's named just how it's cut did you cut at the right part of the transient did you move it a little bit this way how are the fades on this like did you fade too too quickly and you don't hear it here but once it gets compressed or distorted you're going to hear that and The levels the phase there's all these little things that that i'm basically an expert in at this point that um if i can call myself that a sample expert (laughs) um that i've that i've learned to do that i am scared to give that up but at the same time i can't do all the shit i want to do if i'm editing all the time i just can't like editing takes forever so i'd love to hire somebody to do that and that's that's the struggle i'm at now where it's not the business is coasting everything's going well but now i need people to help me do stuff i need employees i need to hire people that's that's my struggle for this year has been getting over that hump myself and learning how to look, trust other people and find them and hire them and pay them
1: yeah yeah it's certainly difficult but like if you if you have the right person that's really the only thing you need the, the only problem is that finding the right person is is a a huge uh, undertaking Mm -hmm. but um, yeah I think that this is probably like a good uh, point to maybe talk a bit about like the dead sample library line Mm -hmm. which is pretty clear to me that like I don't know any anything about your numbers or anything but it seems Mm -hmm. to me only based on even that people if they look at some of my videos that I've done the dead Mm -hmm. sample libraries are like I don't know many times what the what the yeah. other ones get, so right. it seems like they are uh, your most successful um, product line. They are
0: the bread and butter. I'll be doing dead libraries until I'm 50 years old. <laughs>
1: good, sounds perfect. Um, <laughs> because they they are getting better all the time. So, like, I, I mean, volume one was already good, but like, it's like I said in the videos, like to me, that it seems like they're just maturing maturing and, yeah. and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. addressing the, the things that I, I feel like needed to be addressed, but, uh, well, that's good. It's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really good stuff. But, uh, like I, I wanted to maybe hear your thoughts of, on why they are so, uh, light and why they are so successful mm-hmm. because this is like, I've been wanting to have dead, Drum samples for for years, like yeah. not only because you can then control the reverb, um, mm-hmm. but just the sound of it. Like that's an artistic choice. Like I I wanna I like when things are very intimate and and you can get close yes. to them, mm-hmm. and that's what I've been looking for. Not only in drum samples, but in <laughs> basically any any samples that that mm-hmm. I might be mm-hmm. uh, after you know that's probably one of one of the aspects but but why do you think they are so successful is it that that sort of creative tonal thing that is speaking to people and well i guess that's yeah. the question
0: <laughs> yeah it's i mean it's i've thought about it too because i like i said when i launched it i was surprised at the reaction it got and <clears throat> had wished that i'd spent more time on it Cause there was, there's so much to explore there that I, you know, at the time I was like, whatever, I'll just put this out. It's not, this library's not going to do anything. And then it does. And then it's still selling to this day. And the, I think there's a lot of things that you touched on that are the reason it is so popular. I think people that are musicians and producers and work with samples all the time know that it's better to have a dead dry sound, whatever it is to be able to process um themselves it's much more advantageous to have that that's part of it but i think that's more like upper level thinking t- too it's like it's like a little too heady approach i think there's another angle in here that's like people the, i think the branding is interesting the it's just like dead you know i know people know what dead drum sounds are but i don't think anybody's like thrust the marketing upon them like we have on instagram for dead drum samples um so i think the marketing is good and i also think it's just like the sounds themselves especially volume two dead volume two they're which i think is our most popular selling library one of them so between dead two dead 1975 and dead volume one of the are the top selling libraries but i think dead volume two is the most popular and it some of the drum sounds in that are just like legitimately alien. They almost sound like digital or or uh, just foreign. They sound different. They don't sound like a like a Stephen Slate drum sound or an Addictive Drums drum sound or or a Get Good Drums or something you find on Splice or that sound. Like they're just they're just kind of distinct in their own thing, and they have this branding behind it, and they have they usually have these videos behind it that, that I'll make. And so I think it's it's a it's a package of of all of it together that I've stumbled upon and tried to improve upon, but it it definitely is is distinct, and and always trying to always trying to make it better, make it give it the life that it deserves. Like with Dead Volume Two, it was like I spent months working on that thing and making a video that I thought would really do it justice. So part of it is part of it is that too is just put trying to breathe life into these things and make sure that people uh resonate with that and but at the end of the day also making sure the product is fucking rad too so that's that's always part of it so it's, I think it's a lot of it's multi-faceted reason why it does so well and I'm still surprised it does so well and I'm yeah. surprised people haven't tried to copy exactly that method I'm surprised I haven't seen more other dead libraries yet
1: that that was kind of going to be the extension of the first question because I'm pretty well aware as I'm sure you are as well of the other stuff that's out there and it's genuinely quite difficult to find drum samples that are so you know dead or controlled as Mm. as yours are and that obviously plays a role in, in why they are so sec- successful uh, for right. Circles because it just isn't out there. And and this yeah. is something that I've wanted to have ever since I started making music. And, you know, maybe maybe you have some thoughts about why that is. Like, why why isn't anyone else <laughs> attempting to do that? It doesn't make any sense to me, but maybe you have some ideas about that.
0: I've, I've definitely thought about this, too, and it scares me because I know people are going to try and do it as well. I even tried to get dead trademarked. I went to a, um, a trade. I'm giving away all my secrets on this podcast. I well, I mean, uh, to be, to,
1: yeah, I don't I don't want you to say anything that would you know hinder what you're doing. So please don't say anything you're not comfortable saying.
0: So, totally. Yeah. Uh, I'll just I'll I'll throw this out there I don't think this is the problem where I tried to get I tried to get a trademark and uh, I ran into all this uh, all this trouble because of the band Grateful Dead apparently is extremely litigious when it comes to anything that is like dead related and especially with music and I was talking to this attorney about it and I never put that together that somebody would associate Grateful Dead with dead drum samples but now I'm like oh interesting that's that's a fascinating tidbit, um, but yeah, I I am just as surprised as you are that this doesn't this this these dead drum samples don't exist um, at, in as many places as they probably should, which is good for us because we can kind of you know we can run with this for a while, but I think it's I think it's because like people think that drums need to be like banging you know like this this has to be like basically it's always like when the levy breaks it's like god big fucking drums in a hallway or something is like that's kind of what everybody generally thinks of like badass sounding drums and you see that and you see sort of like rock music guiding this drum especially virtual instrument world it's like we're still stuck in this antiquated like rock drum set mentality like when you open a an addictive drums or an easy drummer or or steven slate stuff it's like it's usually like rock centric still like there's still like ride and crash and splash and stuff and that's changing and there's there's more options now but i think it's still kind of stuck in that world of like drums should be big like la room ocean way like big 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 but there's that's not really functional and it's not really part of the sound the modern sound so much anymore it ebbs and it flows like all like all things but yeah i am just i was just as surprised as you are that there's not more dead stuff in general dead usable stuff even like when i'll go on splice and look at stuff in general it's all very very hyped and very processed and part of that is like i think people want to want to sell it and want to Show that this, like, you know, this hits, but it's not always functional in the end. And I think more people are starting to realize that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's even with some of the sample libraries that are relatively controlled, but you can still hear a lot of the room in there, which, you know, isn't good or bad. It's just what it is. But, but, um, it's, there's definitely like, I haven't done any sampling well, I've done very little sampling let's put it that way um, but, you know, trying to to me it seems like if you wanted to do what you're doing with Dead it's it's much more than just being in a very, you know, absorbent heavy room like there's a when I play your libraries there's a, sens- a sense of tangibility and, and it's not only the lack of reverb but there's Like a certain intimate presence and weight to the sound and you know Mm -hmm. nothing is truly void of completely void of reverb because reverb well sound travels in air and that's what sound is Uh, so every everything has some kind of um, ambience at least Mm -hmm. so it's like it's it it's far more difficult than just going in a completely dead room and recording the kit like it seems right. it seems you, you can capture this kind of presence and, and intimacy to it so it seems like it's it's to me it seems like it's far more uh, complex than just you know going into a dead room and also you need to understand yeah. the sound of it like you need to artistically understand the appeal of it and and mm-hmm. how what what makes it work well instead of mm-hmm. simply booking a, a dead room and recording a drum kit. Like that's not gonna be enough because right. it, in my estimation, what speaks uh, in in your libraries to people is the the, the specific tonal color, coloring of it and, and the texture. Yeah. So it is far more complex than, than just the lack of reverb.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it would be hard even it it is hard it is hard to like find the it, it it seems it seems like it should be simpler i guess i agree with you like it seems like you should just be able to go into a room with some good mics press record and come out with something that sounds good but it just it just doesn't it takes it takes so much um like even like we are psychotic with dampening to like um like i said we're psychotic with it like so i'm in i do all the hitting of the drums and i'm in there and it's usually andrew and tyler on the other side of the window and we'll we'll be like okay try one moon gel put the moon gel on the bottom cut that moon gel in half put it up there okay no try the um try the tea towel try the blanket try the gaff tape okay let's do half a gaff on top one finger on the bottom but when you hit the drum slowly remove your finger (laughs) so it's like it's these it's these crazy things we do to get like what the what the consensus is in the room of like the best sounding dead drums, and uh, does that matter? Yes, but it it is so it's like so mundane of a detail that we focus in on on these dead things because in a dead room, especially if it's a well designed room, you hear everything you hear every little rattle, and um, and it it is difficult to do and I think. Whether or not people consciously know that or appreciate that, I think hopefully that translates and comes across in the end product that like it, these things do take a ridiculous amount of effort to truly make them sound dead.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's probably one of the most important things. Like you, you actually hear detail, like mm-hmm. intense detail, and, and I'm like a detail addict. Like to me, every single tiny thing matters. Or it, it kind of gives you a different color, different feel. So yeah. that's probably one of the things that is making it so appealing and why probably a lot of people couldn't replicate it because maybe there isn't like an understanding or taste uh, for them yeah. to, to hear that. Yeah. Uh, sort of going back to... Um, what, what you mentioned you described the the process of how circles grew and how it was kind of like uh at times kind of slow and, and sluggish. Um, yeah what was what were some of the kind of the mental states that you you went through? Did you have some some you know difficult mental spots in there and how did you sort of what what did you do what did you utilize to get past? kind of the gray tedious stuff when it wasn't working
0: yeah i think the hardest part of this of growing this company so far was when um i lived i lived in pittsburgh um my wife and i my wife was going to school there and um i had a studio there that was in this little town called etna and it was like a 10 minute drive from my house but uh pittsburgh is like is literally a dark place like it gets very few days of sunshine it's rainy it's bleak it's depressing it's like
1: like Finland
0: yeah I guess like Finland during winter
1: <laughs> during winter I must say
0: yes right but at least from what I understand uh, you guys have a um, you know, it seems like there's a, there's a culture there. There's a beauty in a lot of the architecture and stuff, or maybe the, I'm just thinking of Helsinki pictures. I've looked at before we talked today, but like, it seems like there's, you guys have a vibe about it and you're all kind of in it together. Pittsburgh feels fractured. It feels, um, it feels like a leftover American city and it's, it's pretty fucked up. It's pretty dilapidated and, and dark. And a lot of people are sad there and you can feel it. And maybe that's the same with these, these, uh, maybe it's the same in Finland. I don't know, but um. When I was there, was that so that coupled with um, trying to start a business and and kind of eating shit doing it and like I said I was in this this terrible studio it was just like a a big box with fluorescent lights and I tried my best to make it vibey but like there's like band like death metal bands next to me like da 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 and I'm like trying to like you know putting on headphones editing samples for the fourth library that hasn't sold anything and I'm, I don't have any money. I'm in debt. I had taken out another loan to pay for stuff. That was a really dark time. And I didn't know how dark it was until I kind of got out of it. Um, but that was, that was hard. That was the hardest time by far just for a lot of reasons but like trying trying to grow a company in in a place that is uninspiring while you're in debt is is like a whole nother level of of shit eating you know
1: yeah did you did you sort of like did you apply anything consciously during that time period or did you just kind of slug it out did you just grind through it Or was there anything that you deployed during that time that helped?
0: Interesting. Um, it, it, moreover, it was, it was like determination. I don't even know if that's the right word. It's like, um, it was just, it was just forward momentum even if it didn't feel like forward momentum it's just like okay well here's another day like i'm at the studio again like maybe i'll do something and some days you don't some days you do and it was just like kind of one foot in front of the other basically but leaving there leaving pittsburgh and leaving that studio was was really nice it was a good feeling to leave that all behind and it felt like i left the struggles of the business there as well. So changing changing of geographical location was helpful. But moreover, it was just like, just do the next thing, you know, just do the next thing. And I'm really good about doing something every day, going to the studio and just doing something, whatever it is like today, I'm going to update this spreadsheet. If that's all I do today, that's fine. Today, I'm going to not do anything. I'm going to be on Twitter all day. That's fine, too. And I've learned to sort of accept these days of nothing that are not progress. That's been helpful. Just sort of accept, just accept and move forward. I think that's the biggest thing I learned from that period.
1: Yeah. Well, it seems like that's really the, the, the skill that or the approach that carried you through. And that's a lot of the time what I, you know, if and when people ask for, you know uh, help or or anything from me i usually try and cuz I, I try and keep it practical because a lot of people get caught up in the emotions and yeah. and it's really useful to remain practical regardless of what your emotions are and mm-hmm. you know even as you were going through that dark uh, period you just still did something which eventually amounts to something and even if you are in a dark place that's what is going to get you out of it and uh, yeah. and yeah it's it's funny how cuz i had like uh also like a dark period from i don't know maybe age of uh 22, 23 to i don't know 25 or 6 or something like that and mm-hmm. my my struggle was more way more like mental i was i was kind of that was the time when I started uh, you know, my stuff as an entrepreneur. So obviously it was kind of difficult and taxing, but yeah. more than anything else, it was mentally like a very dark place. And now when I look back at that time, I'm like, how did I, how did I like do that? How did I live through through that kind of dark mental landscape? Yeah. Like it seems so alien to me now. Yeah. But at the same time, like I was super dedicated on trying to fix my broken mental health like I was kind of well you know fucked up in many ways but but uh, I was really dedicated to finding myself in a in, in a better place and I think it was the aggressiveness of that approach where I really said like I, I'm gonna make it a priority to genuinely try and be a better person. <laughs> Uh, and I was really brutal about that which made it very difficult and dark but mm-hmm. I now reap the benefits from that like I don't yeah. have to deal with that shit anymore like yeah. I've I've fortunately grown out of many of those those flaws but uh it's funny it's how place. Yeah I mean it's it, it was a dark time but it was the best investment of my life like best yeah. in- investment of effort and <laughs> yeah But it's interesting how you only see it in hindsight
0: like totally yeah when you're in it you're just like oh what what is this it's even when you're in it it's even hard to conceive of how bad it is like you know Mm -hmm. it sucks but you're like i don't know how much this sucks i just know it sucks
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and for me it was the same way like i was always dedicated to just doing the next thing like no matter what Mm -hmm. like i'm just gonna do this thing no matter how i feel and so forth yeah and there's a lot of utility in you know learning, learning that. And, yeah,
0: um, it's hard. That's that's such a hard thing to like. If you don't have that in you, that like desire to do. Maybe not even desire, but just a. Uh, for me, it felt I don't know if this if this was like it for you. It sounds like you have have more. Um, it sounds like you had a lot of determination to better yourself, or like. Um, like for me, I, a lot of it felt automatic, like out of my control a little bit, like it was like, I'm, I'm going to the studio today to do something because I don't know what else to do, you know, and it's like, I'm going to do it. And and it felt, it felt automatic, like whether that's me pushing myself through it, and not realizing it, but um, a, a lot of it felt just sort of like, kind of out of my control where it's like, ugh. I I don't know. I just have to. I have to go forward. I don't even know what I'm doing, but I have to go forward, whatever forward means. But I know. I know people don't. A lot of people don't have that, where it's like they'll. It just becomes a spiral, and I think I don't think I've ever been like depressed. Well, no, I've been depressed, but like I don't. I don't have that inescapable feeling of depression that I think I was close to. But I, I feel like I might have been close, and I think because I had that automatic tendency to to just keep moving forward, I'm I'm not <laughs> dead or depressed for life or or medicated or yeah I don't know. But I, I think I think everybody has like their own version of the struggle, and like even in the entrepreneurial sense, I've read so many accounts of people talking about their own struggles with starting a business and financially and relationships and um anxieties and all that stuff but it's like everyone's on their own weird little journey and has their own um version of the thing that they're going through so it's like it's when i was reading those things about founders pains none of them really truly resonated with me because i'm like well my pain's different like I don't know. It's just it's just different. I don't relate to you. I understand I'm I'm sorry you're in pain. I understand you're in pain, but like the way I'm dealing with this is completely different. I think everybody has their own version of that. Especially when it's like entrepreneurial or whatever you want to call it, business related, because there's there's so much shit tied up in it. You know, it's like your income, your creativity, it's all just like constantly um just there for disruption. It's there to be corrupted potentially. So it's like, eh, it's, it's a wicked storm of, of shit for sure.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a super important point because whenever I consult anyone or give advice on what to do, I always emphasize like don't focus on, if you focus on other people's situations, do it for mm-hmm. the sake of learning but don't do it for the sake of comparison because you yeah. always need to, whatever your situation is, that is your situation. You can't, you can only change it through action, but, but so many people get caught up in this endless cycle of comparison. And I'm yeah. like, your situation right now is what it is. That's what you need to wrestle with. Like no matter how stupid the steps may seem, like I don't know how to, I don't know, Google something. Well, then you learn how to, google something like it doesn't it doesn't matter what what is in front of you the fact is that you have to face what is in front of you and whatever Mm -hmm. those steps are those are there for you to take and nothing else so Mm -hmm. i think it's extremely you know important to main keep that focus on yourself and Mm -hmm. get get hyper specific about it because that is the path ahead and You can only change it through
0: action. So I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I totally think you're right. And even in like a um, This is something I've been thinking about a lot lately in like uh, To change to flip that context a little bit into like the sampling world a lot of times people will When they go into a studio if they're recording a song or something or if they're at home and they're referencing another song to try and be like that sonically, rhythmically or otherwise, the sort of like a B comparison, it oftentimes for me, and I think for others too, it, it can like dilute the original intention or thought. Like if we're in the studio, referencing a dead drum from a, whatever Queens, the stone age record or something, or, or even like a modern like pop song or something, like I'll bring in, I used to bring in a lot of references. It's like, let's make something that sounds like that. And by doing that, it's already, you've already lost sort of this intrinsic cool potential that you had to make something from scratch where it's like, let's take this drum and make it sound cool. It doesn't need to sound like St. Vincent's new record or whatever, like it's fine to use that for inspiration, I suppose, but if you're trying to turn this thing this drum for example into something that is not this drum that is something we're trying to replicate i don't know it kind of i feel like it dilutes it and i think that's kind of what you're getting at too in some ways where this this comparison is f- of yourself to other people translates into the creative world too like let's make something creatively that's like this other thing it's like i don't know i think if you can lean more into your intuition you're better off, even if it doesn't sound as good or if it's not as cool, that's a better route to take, I believe, than to compare, just this comparative thing all the time is is never ending. And especially in business world, like people try to give you advice or say you should do something else, or have you thought about this, have you thought about that? Like this guy's making a million dollars a year doing it like this maybe you should get into nfts and all this other shit and you're like you know what i'm fucking good like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this my way i got i got it figured out for the most part like let me have my let me have my own (laughs) uh, autonomy i suppose
1: yeah and the moment you you start you know copying or chasing that other thing by definition it's not creative anymore it's replication you're you're Trying totally. to replicate something, so you can't be you can't be creative in that sort of a state. And I think that's where a lot of people get caught up in. May that be in creativity or or business? Well, business can yeah. be creative as well. But uh, sort of um, maybe touching on business on a on a broader scale. Was that something? Is that something that has always been kind of innate in you to to kind of have that? I guess, entrepreneurial, uh, approach to things. And, and, um, well, I guess that's, the, that's really the first part of this question, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is that something that is natural to you or did you have to learn it sort of through the, the process of doing it?
0: Yeah. Uh, in bands, like my first band, Took Me Pink was like, um, you know, we had, we had a lot of, managerial stuff that had to be figured out. Like um, I was, so I guess I was like 19 years old when it's like logistically, you got to figure out taxes. You got to figure out, okay, we just got all this money. Like we got to put this here, put this there. And that kind of all fell on me, but I also wanted to do it. I was like, let me, let me take charge of the money. Like I, this is all new. You all trust me here. Like, let me, let me take over this. and. Um, so from a young age, I was, I was fascinated with, um, with a lot of stuff like, uh, like investing even like, um, started getting into started buying stocks around that time and stuff. Wish I'd gotten into crypto then, but I didn't. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just financially stuff made sense to me. And, um, and even like managerially, like the spreadsheets I would make and like get stuff ready for tour. I was kind of always in the back of my mind. And so translating that into into what I do now, I think it's like inherently there was a lot of that that kind of skill inside of me, <laughs> but uh, having to learn like all this new stuff was was like nothing I'd done before, and it's it's like the building of a website, the building of an e-commerce. Uh, platform, understanding how ads work, understanding how that relates to everything else. It's its all connected. Like it's its all this weird system and every business has their own system. And so to keep that inside of my head and to learn it all was was kind of like nothing I've ever done before. And it was all on my own. And that's that's been the, the hardest part I think of all this is just like maintaining all this information and, and still trying to learn stuff and adapt uh as i as we go on it's just like it's exhausting (laughs) truly exhausting
1: yeah it's it's kind of it's a never ending process because the the market the landscape is always changing and you're adjusting and you're trying to come up with something new so it's really becomes like a lifestyle uh you can't you can't i mean you can take days off but it's like it's constantly evolving so yeah to stay yeah. on top of that is there like business wise thinking what was the biggest surprise of of running a business overall like was there something that really struck you by surprise about could be anything the industry or whatever mm-hmm. comes to mind?
0: The biggest surprise has been how much money I give Facebook <laughs> every. <laughs> every year, it like, dude, it would disgust you how much money I give Facebook. And this is something I've had to grapple with, um, myself, uh, because I, I don't like Facebook as much as the next person I understand what it is and its utility and you know it's just kind of not my thing um I'm on Instagram Facebook owns Instagram my data is there it exists do I like that no not really um but in terms of like this my business circles wouldn't exist as a self-sustaining company um without facebook period it just it i would not get the reach i would not get the the low the low cost of marketing um without facebook and so facebook gets a lot of shit because of what they've done with our data and how how kind of just skeezy they are the thing that gets overlooked in this conversation i think is how little it takes for small companies, small businesses like mine to reach the right customers at a cost that is outrageously low. And like, I was talking with somebody the other day about how this kind of feels like a slot machine, marketing and advertising on Facebook feels like a slot machine, because when you're doing it, you are you are seeing all these metrics, including return on ad spend, which is the most crucial. Metric there is, and it's that's changing a little bit with new privacy changes on iOS and stuff like that. But for example, if I'm running an ad for Dead Library, and that one is doing really well, and it has a let's say a four to five x return on ad spend, which is pretty good. That's actually on the high end of stuff. So for every hundred dollars I'm spending, I'm getting four hundred to five hundred back. So I'm potentially netting every time I spend a hundred dollars, I'm getting four hundred dollars. And you're seeing this and you're tracking it and it's a slot machine but that's what it feels like it's not literally a slot machine because you're trading goods and all that but you're giving facebook money and money and money and then now i can see this like year-end tally of how much i spent last year how much i spent total over time and it's it's outrageous that's been the biggest the most shocking thing of owning a company is realizing how much money it takes to to advertise and facebook's they have a monopoly because of facebook and instagram but there's also google there's also twitter there's reddit there's tiktok now um the return on ad spend is not not as good on those platforms in for what i do but i'm hoping that it won't always be this this dominating facebook facebook ads manager basically determining uh how much how much money i make basically yeah that's that's the hardest thing
1: yeah yeah that's kind of like obviously social media and and you know paid marketing has a extremely negative uh reputation right now but i think that's largely a very naive and ignorant take on it on on its own like obviously there are many clear negatives about some of these companies and what they do and so forth but there's so much upside, like what you talked about, about making, you know, small, giving small creators the opportunity of actually turning what they do into a living, you know, Mm -hmm. selling what what it is that they do, may that be goods or or services, but, you know, they are connecting a lot of the world and they are facilitating these tremendous paths for people who want to create something to people who genuinely want to consume that thing. So, I think yeah. uh, we would be far better off if we kind of diversified the, that conversation mm-hmm. and, and actually started to talk about a lot of the upside. And I think that comes from mainly from uh, you know uh, smaller businesses because it mm-hmm. it absolutely can change uh, your life. But uh, I think mm-hmm. this is probably a good point to jump into some of the marketing questions that I that I have what what is the balance between um, you know or organic marketing versus your your paid Mm -hmm. marketing like Mm -hmm. uh, I get the impression that the paid is kind of the bigger thing and obviously gives you more bang for your buck versus you know doing something you know perhaps more long-winded way and not knowing what the return is but but uh, do you still well I guess you could describe the balance between the two and what you do well, you touched on Facebook already, so I guess the organic is left to be <laughs> discussed. But uh, yeah. does that have any place in what you do at this stage? Or
0: yes, and I I wish it had more. And it, it's possible that there's, I mean, there's always more to be done in terms of reaching people organically, whether that's word of mouth or non-traditional ways of of advertising, like uh, trade shows or or you know, doing something, having a having a shtick on TikTok or something that is uh, that is an angle that is that is organic versus paid. Um, it's hard to track organic reach. The best metric I would have for that would be like like in like Google Analytics, you can kind of see. You know how many people just like you know googled you and reached you organically that's not a one to one correlation with being truly organic because you know we're advertising we're the the most we spend is you know like i said facebook and instagram so that's typically on mobile people will discover us on mobile you're not buying a sample library on your mobile app on, on your iphone or android whatever you are buying it on your computer. So somebody has their phone, they see an ad, they go, oh, that's cool. Probably ignore it, see it again, like, oh shit, maybe I should check that out. Click on the website on their phone, then realize you have to download it, drop it, forget about it, come back later on their computer, download it there. So that is, that's not organic, but it 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 comes up as organic on Google because they're just searching it and then they click on it and then they discover you. So, it's technically not organic, and I would say that word of mouth, definitely, I'm hearing about that, that people are talking about it, or that, you know, this guy heard it from his friend and he got it, like even on Instagram posts or Facebook posts, people will be like, remember when I was telling you about this the other day? They'll tag one of their friends and shit. So it definitely happens, and I think it's exponential. There's probably like a, there's, I don't even know what percentage I could put at it, but maybe like a one to 5% organic i would say very low that's that's my best guess most of it is paid unfortunately but there is in terms of marketing like you know the email list that we have is fucking massive now and um that's another expense which is weird like mailchimp and omnisend they're like that's like $300 a month for the tier of subscribers we're at even if you don't send any emails it's like $300 a month which is like, maybe I should have gotten into that business if I can charge people that, so that that's insane. But uh, I guess that would be considered organic is having like a large mailing list, which we do. That's really helpful too, but it's mostly paid.
1: Yeah, and obviously over time, as you do spend this money on the paid, some of mm-hmm. those people convert into like long time organic customers. Yes. So you're, you're kind of transferring them sort of slowly into that area okay. so it's it's not as clear-cut obviously um, mm-hmm. so you've branded circles really well in my estimation um, thank you is that have you always had like an an understanding and, and an eye for for branding and the kind of ma- the visual side of things that relate to that is it something you you always sort of had a uh, an, an intuition for or have you actually educated yourself sort of more practically in terms of how to yeah improve that
0: well i've definitely gotten better and i was not very good at first um terrible i was really bad at first with graphic design specifically and you get better like i just looked the other day at i was i just got a new macbook so i was transferring over a bunch of shit and just like looking through old stuff and yeah. i found this
1: no sorry did you did you get the the new souped up I M, m1
0: i did i got the steroided out macbook pro just okay. totally maxed let me know I how that it. turns it's out it's amazing okay well it's fuck <laughs> I, I have
1: this i am, have this old dying imac that i'm trying to survive with and i i pray to the okay. gods that it doesn't die anytime soon because i can't afford Mm -hmm. to replace it right now but yeah yeah
0: they're there i i wrecked credit card i wrecked my apple card on this new one what i'm what i'm waiting for is the what i really wanted rather was the imac the new like m2 or whatever they're gonna call it uh imac so we'll see if that comes soon yeah um the fuck was i talking about before that
1: uh we're talking about branding you were going through some old files or or something
0: ah yes Yes, yeah, so I was going through yeah, these old design files of like, oh God, I, it was like website prototypes and like early circle stuff. And it was so fucking bad. It was like, it was, it was just bad. It was like, like almost like first year, like Microsoft paint level bad. And so, no, I was not, I definitely had an eye for what I liked, but I didn't. I didn't know what was good. I guess, and I, I still stumble through that. Like even lately, I've been working on designs in Photoshop, which is primarily what I use to like just flesh stuff out. And I still struggle a lot with getting things to feel right. And a lot of times, I will, I will go through revision after revision after revision, and it's just it's still not right. Um, and I do pretty. I think everything on circles is is my designs some of the photos aren't but everything else is is basically just me learning but really that just comes from doing a bunch of different things most of them really bad and then being able to look at them all together and go this one's the least bad how can i make this better and then revising that one and kind of going from there Um, but design is probably the hardest creative part of this because i'm it's it's what i'm the least good at i would say but I, I try. I try to be very open about what is good and what is bad, design-wise.
1: So you mentioned you're you're working with some people over in Germany or something. Is that something? Is it related to a new new project or are you gonna yeah. ch- change how you do your marketing and the visual stuff or?
0: No, marketing is unchanged. This is a uh, this is for. Uh, kind of a longer term vision for circles is getting into software, um, specifically like from the ground up software. So not like a contact library, not building on top of another platform, but having our own, our own sampler software. This is something I've been working on for years now. And this is something we've been working with, um, this company in Berlin to help us do the UI UX stuff, and this uh, this coder in Stockholm, um, who's helping us do the coding for it. And this is an area that I'm really interested in pivoting to as a company. Um, but it has been it has been so hard to find um, to find people to do this. Um, I I talked with uh, probably a dozen developers, software developers. Um, over the past two years and none of them except for the ones that we've currently found recently have been like either available or understand the type of work we're trying to do or or I'm wanting to do so that's that's been a big journey but the people we've been working with in Berlin and Stockholm are specifically for a, a software project that we're in the middle of working on right now
1: Yeah, that sounds kind of interesting that it's difficult to find the people. I guess when you go to a kind of high enough level and also the specificity of what you're trying to achieve, as that Mm -hmm. becomes more accurate, obviously, again, like finding the right people to do the editing for you, again, that's like specificity what you're looking for. So I guess Mm -hmm. uh, in that sense, it isn't like a surprise. But, you know, I'd expect there to be... You know, people for that is the problem. Like that, they can't see the vision and understand the big picture. Or what is the what is the challenge about finding the right person for that? Is it the technical ability, or is it something else?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I think it's a it's a combination of a few of those things. Like um, the well, first of all, there's not a lot of money. In music app development in general, so I think a lot of these really good coders and developers will flock to like a Google or or, or Facebook or you know um, or a startup with a high valuation or something because they're probably going to make a lot of money doing that. So in this industry, there's less money and there's less people doing this kind of development. And interestingly, everybody I've talked to uh, that that I felt like was worth engaging. In this conversation, with is not in America, is not in the U.S. They're they're dotted kind of all over Europe, and so I think culturally that speaks to a lot of um, what's happening here. Where I think it it, it it this is my guess, I don't know, but it seems like creatively, musically, and in combining that with a development sort of mindset, there's a lot more people in Europe, specifically like Berlin. Stockholm, like I mentioned, I talked to one guy in the UK, I've talked to another one in another one in the UK, and um, I don't know, it just, it just, I don't, it doesn't seem to add up quite right why there aren't a lot of people, but I think it is financially the rewards aren't so much there, it is, it is a, a marriage of marrying music with, with coding is, is not always the, the uh, like a... <laughs> I don't know what the word is, not a good fit. It's hard. It seems there's a lot of friction there. It's hard to bring those two together. It's really easy to, I shouldn't say really easy, but it's much easier to design something. Like we can design this plugin, this software very easily. This is how it should work. That's the fucking easy part. The hard part is having somebody build that for you and make it work, not have it be DSP intensive. and all this, all this other stuff that comes about in that world is really hard, and it's very interdisciplinary in nature. So I'm, I've found that is that is the absolute most difficult part of this is just finding somebody that understands what is what it is that you're trying to do, and is willing to do it at a fair price. Yeah. Maybe that's just recruiting people in general, which is something I'm learning lately. But development is it seems very hard
1: yeah do you have any without disclosing anything that you don't want to share um do you have any tips on how to find these these people like these collaborators like do you go on on linkedin or do you go on these different forums or websites and then Mm -hmm. search for them like do you have any tips on how to find the people that you want to work with
0: i did a lot of that sort of digging um on linkedin on On forums, uh, there was a native instrument forum that I came across that I reached out to some like mods there that you know had their shit together. And I would I would not go down the route of like some of these websites that will link you to developers. Like I think it's like Top Tall is one of them, and there's other ones like them that like you basically pay a subscription to be hooked up to these developers that will build something for you. I think you can just ignore all those i think the best route to go is find the company's uh, software that you like and just contact them and go through if there's credits or if you can just email them or find them on uh, you can find a lot of really good designers on like dribble and behance and um find stuff that looks cool find people that have actually built things and just reach out to them and they'll probably have a price. And if they can't do it, they'll tell you, but if they can, they'll usually engage in a conversation. So it's kind of just, yeah, just just find the shit you like and ping them, see if they get back to you.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's extremely solid advice. Um, touching on sort of looping back to uh, partners that you work with or, or business partners, um, trying to loop this back to to Tyler uh, Lindgren. Um, Other than that sort of technical capability and skill like what is it that you look for in your certainly in your business partners but they could be sort of more you know people you hire for specific tasks like are there any kind of uh, personality traits or or um, anything else that you look for in partners and and why did you why did you end up uh, working with with Tyler, for example?
0: Yeah, Tyler's been my homie since like uh, since we were basically like kids, more or less. We were in math class together in high school and played in marching band together, so we've known each other. And then he went to uh, L.A., went to uh, recording school down in Phoenix, and then went to L.A. and he worked on The Voice and did a bunch of other really cool stuff session work uh, with a lot of prominent engineers I worked with a mastering engineer out there basically he just got like he got like the you know the la tour of like all the all the stuff all the knowledge he's been to a lot of the really cool studios there so this guy's he's just he's filled with knowledge he's like one of the smartest people I know and very much engineer minded and which I am not I'm not engineer minded at all but he very much is. So we started, we reconnected when I was out in LA and he was out there. So we go to, um, we go to this brewery called Golden Road, which is like kind of this like trashy, you know, not really a good brewery, but we used to go for hikes and run in and then just go to the brewery and get trash together and smoke cigarettes and talk shit. And it was like, oh my God, we're like, you know, we're like the same people, We just, you know, we, we left for a little while and we came back together and this is great. And then, uh, you know, that's right around the time I was starting circles, talking to him about that. And it just made sense to do stuff together. And he has not only a a ton of knowledge and is a a true real engineer, but he has a ton of really good gear too. So I benefit. And um, so he'll, so the first library we did together was a garage and that was great. It's the easiest recording ever. We did dead 1975 together and we did the desert stuff and outdoor stuff and he'll come and hang out while we do any other recordings at like the blasting room. With Andrew Berlin, who's another collaborator, who's he—he um, he works at the Blasting Room full time, but he is just—he's uh, just an incredible mixer, engineer, and a great hang. So, to sum it up, it's usually just about the hang, you know, like who's—who's who's fun to hang out with for six hours. I don't really need the best of anything. <laughs> but i found two people that are really fucking good at what they do and they're a good hang so i've lucked out i'm probably the most annoying one of the group and the least knowledgeable so uh it's it's great i don't know it's just it's just finding people you can have fun with i guess or just you know relax with yeah. is nice
1: do you have any tips on how to be a better partner for them because obviously the question is oh- often focused on how can I find the right people and get the yeah. right things? So is there something you've realized that you can, you know, do or be for them to, to make it better?
0: That's a, that's a great question. <laughs> um, Yeah. Uh, I would say openness, like, like pretty radical openness and honesty about, you know, whatever it is you're doing. And it's like, especially if there's money involved and stuff like that, I always want to be sure that everybody feels valuable in one way or another. Like, you know, am I, am I paying you enough, you know, or is this, you know, is that kind of stuff is really touchy. So that, that needs to be, I think openness and honesty is something that's important for somebody in my position to do. And yeah, really, I think that kind of, that kind of mentality is the best thing to have. Like, not just about the money stuff, but just openness, like, you know, what do you think? You know, what is what is the consensus here? Are you, are you enjoying this? Do you want to do this? Is there something you want to do? Just kind of being open and listening. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a boss. I really don't, but it's kind of the role i found myself in. It's like, I'm the instigator. I'm I own this company it's weird to say but I do and I, I run it and it supports me and my family so I kind of gotta I kind of gotta be serious about stuff and that just necessitates me being like the guy in charge sometimes so it's a good question I should ask Tyler how can I be a better partner
1: <laughs> yeah no I think it's a very solid answer and you know I'm sure um, you know honesty can be the truth can be painful but but it's you know it's the yeah. it's useful and it's if something isn't grounded in truth then it's not really grounded in anything in terms mm-hmm. of the long term so yeah I think that's a pretty solid um, answer um, let's talk a bit about physical location. Um, what I really like about what you're doing is obviously it's a very <laughs> internet based thing and you can be running this basically from anywhere where you have decent yeah. internet connections. So, um, you're now in Colorado and, and, um, uh, I saw if, if you like Instagram pics where you were like on the road for some mm-hmm. time period, was that like an extended time period or was it like just a yeah. summer trip or something?
0: No, my wife and I were on the road for like eight months, um, between like mid-2019 and and 2020. Uh, It's when we left Pittsburgh and we're staying at my family's ranch in Wyoming, and uh, and my family's ranch, former ranch, they've sold it down in um, like northeast uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, so it's it's two of the most like beautiful locations that that we could just go and hang out at, and so we didn't have a house. And we have two dogs, and we just packed our car full of shit and just kind of hung out there for a while. And I like I worked from my laptop. There was Wi-Fi at both locations, and it was totally fine. In fact, when we when we went down to Arizona the first time, that's when I did the whole first dead thing, which is like on my laptop you know the bass guitar riff from that library is just like me straight di into my laptop just like in my father-in-law's like office just it was i don't know it's it's kind of awesome that you don't need to be anywhere and all you need is a computer but we definitely value just being autonomous and getting up and going places and, and feeling free and part of that i think is like a very like American thing, like one great thing about America is just that you can just get up and go drive somewhere and just feels like you can drive for forever. And so something about growing up in in the West, too, in Colorado, you always kind of have that, like, whether you're touring in bands or just, just trying to get away, you always have this, this vast openness, you can just escape to, and then you're in the middle of nothing. And it's, uh, yeah, it's something I think, I value, and me and my me and my wife both value. But I I love being being able to just piece the fuck out sometimes.
1: Yeah, that's I didn't actually even ask a question, and you answered the question that I had. Had so that's <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Um, I actually do wanna. I have a section here that's dedicated for dogs because I okay. love I love dogs, and I'm I'm a dog person. So, um, you know, I saw the the at least two German shepherds there yeah um so i i assume you're a dog person and uh uh right. wondered if if you could maybe like briefly uh amuse me and 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 kind of uh talk about maybe the the impact that animals overall have to your you know maybe even not workflow but you know your life and yeah. and ha- does that like does that help you with with creativity or maintaining perspective on on what it is that you do or maybe like (laughs) have you learned anything from your dogs maybe that's a a silly question but
0: no i love it i love it um yeah my two i have two german shepherds the older one he's now was he's 11 years old so he's like a he's got a big great beard he's kind of like an old wolf soul and then we got this uh smaller Smaller German Shepherd. His name's Animal, and he's he's crazy. He's just like um, he's weird. He's almost like a like a like he can. Do you ever see the movie Coco, that Disney Pixar movie? I don't think so. There's there's it's a great movie. You should check it out. It's um, it's probably my favorite, definitely my favorite Pixar movie. And um, there's this dog in it. His name's Dante, and he's like this escort between like the human world and the spirit world. And, and he's got like one ear that doesn't go up and one ear that goes up and like his tongue hangs out and my dog animal looks exactly like Dante. So he's just, you know, he's got this weird vibe. We got him in the desert too. And he was, uh, he, he probably helps me, uh, like take breaks, you know, like he'll, he'll kind of come down and remind me and be like, bro, what the fuck you doing? Like, this isn't important. Like, let's, let's go outside. So he's, um, he's definitely helped me a lot. I think dogs in general are just like, I don't know, they have, they have such a presence about them. And we've always, we've always loved German Shepherds too, for whatever reason, they just feel like this weird, emotional, um, they're just like really emo wolves, is what they feel like. Like they're just, they just have this vibe about them that, um, that I love. I imagine us having like, like a flock of like 15 German Shepherds and like a big farm at some point, that's that's kind of like my dream come true. Sounds pretty good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's you know their ability to be present in the moment. That's you know something that I God. I uh, I don't unfortunately uh, have a dog yet. Um, we did have one when I was uh, little, but um, but yeah, I, I definitely want to have one one day again. And I think they help us, you know, re- reconnect with just what you said, you know kind of the Mm -hmm. the basics and the fundamentals of of life and being being present in the moment i guess i could use this kind of as a as a somewhat decent segue into kind of the topic of life balance as it relates to creativity um because you're you're not only doing one thing which is like a creative field, which is certainly enough to be difficult and challenging to manage in relation to maybe the rest of your life, but, but you're also in, in, in business, which is another thing that is massively difficult to, um, um, handle and you're kind of enmeshed, enmeshed in, in both of those fields. So, um, first of all, do you, do you feel like, um, your your life balance in terms of like your relationships and other stuff in your life Mm. and how that relates to creativity and business do you feel like they have a strong connection like if one is struggling does the other struggle or can you sort of compartmentalize those and work that on them individually and maybe what kind of a bearing does your sort of uh normal life I guess (laughs) all the you know stuff does that have have a bearing on your creativity and, and business side and how do you manage the two
0: yeah totally um it's all for me it's all connected the if if there's something I I don't feel like I can have any any like like real major stressors if if I need to be like you know if I need to be like creative or if I need to record something or really just any any kind of work if i have if i have like a lingering stressor from from real life you know whatever you want to call it from the other life it does feel they do feel distinct and separate like even like being in my little studio room here like i i enter into a different space completely but i still carry in everything that that i came in with today and so very much i i am not the kind of person i can compartmentalize i don't like to and it is hard to um to be creative or or just to do work in general if i'm if i'm bringing in any type of stress from from my world so i try to i try to not have as much of that as possible and sometimes it's not possible with life you know and then some days some days i elect not to do any any work at all because of it like i feel i'm i'm lucky that i don't i'm beholden to nobody anymore i don't i don't work for anybody i work for myself which is can sometimes be a curse but some most of the time 95 percent of the time it's fucking awesome because i can just be like you know what i'm not doing anything today and and i'm 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 not gonna feel bad about that and i'm not gonna feel like i owe anybody anything so, but yeah, stress, outside stress, it really fucks me up. Honestly, I can't do, I can't, I can't be good at anything if I'm holding on to something from the outside world, <laughs> the non-creative weirdo circles world.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm the same way these days. I think when I was younger, I could and would channel like all the shit into the music that i do and, and that stuff mm, but but these mm. days it's like i don't know like i really need to have my personal shit in order with the people who mean the most to me because i yeah. it it weighs on me so heavily so yeah but do you do you like uh, do you put conscious effort into prioritizing that as soon as something comes up or like how do you um deal with it
0: like like, what do you mean
1: like like do you actually because you you have this company it gives you at least certain type of you know financial and maybe time freedom in certain cases like do you mm-hmm, yeah. uh, well i guess the question is um, what kind of you know practical choices and, and efforts do you do to make make sure that things stay you know in the in the in the proper order when it comes to your immediate yeah. relationships doesn't have to oh. be highly specific. I guess you, you kind of yeah. partially already answered that, but
0: definitely something that I've been doing lately is like every day. It's so basic, but every day I, I exercise for 30 minutes, I get on my elliptical and I sweat. And once I am dripping sweat, then I know it's time to get off. And I've done that for probably like the past eight months or so. And it has made it, in, in a crazy change. in just how I function in this world so again it's like it's so like boring to say that exercise (laughs) fucking really works
1: no I I think that's a that's a great answer and and I think that's what a lot of creatives are lacking especially like when you are a creative your mind is racing like crazy most of the time and the way to kind of calm that down is to is to physically exhaust yourself Yeah, uh, I've talked about this in in previous kind of podcast episodes. And, and it's like, it's like a drug, like it's, it's like being on some kind of opiates or or something. Um, I
0: totally agree. Yeah, it's like, I do this thing to myself every morning now, where I, I get really caffeinated, caffeinated to the point where I'm like, I'm like, I'm gonna have a fucking panic attack. And then I start working out basically like a pre workout. (laughs) Like, I do that. So it forces my hand into like getting that all out. And it feels like every morning I have this like ritual purge of like, of all the shitty feeling. And then I get off and I feel great. And it's, it really works. And I couldn't agree more that it's like, um, however you put it, just it's really important to, to clear whatever is happening in your head or, or reignite it too. It's like, maybe it's not clearing. Maybe you're like starting the fire of some idea you had again. And, um, yeah, I would say exercise is like has been really important to me.
1: Yeah, cool. Um, let's talk about drummers for a, a short moment. You know, when I look at you play, I, I see a lot of kind of like Taylor Hawkins energy yeah. in, in what you do. Is that yeah. like a cor- correct observation? And, and that's correct.
0: I have a I have a Taylor Hawkins tattoo right here and oh, a John okay. Bonham tattoo. Cool. From I got these when I was very young. Would I get it again? I don't know if I would. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's it's there now. So <laughs>
0: it's There now. It ain't going anywhere.
1: Yeah. Um do you have um well first of all, I guess like what what about his playing speaks to you and and if you have any other favorite drummers uh, who are they and and why?
0: I mean, Dave Grohl definitely is probably my favorite. I mean, I grew up listening to all all those bands Foo Fighters Nirvana, Queens of Stone Age and Crooked Vultures Um, Bonham obviously was one of my first big influences and those are more or less like the classic you know drummers, drummer John Bonham, Dave Roll two of my favorites, I I used to go to these drum clinics too all the time in in Colorado because we had this local drum shop here called Colorado Drum that would bring in these really amazing drummers like uh, Dennis Chambers or Steve Gadd or um, God. There's this guy named Zoro that was a really good drummer. Like the first drum clinic I went to, and so I was exposed to a lot of a lot of that stuff. And that's kind of when the internet just like had just come out. Not just come out, but like you know everybody had the internet more or less. And I'd go to like DrummerWorld.com and look at all these incredible just like ripping drummers and so definitely got a lot of inspiration from from a a variety of sources but the biggest were always Grohl, Bonham and then later would be like a Josh Freese I think he's he's an incredible drummer and who else I mean those are kind of the biggest ones and then Taylor Hawkins of course just because I loved the Foo Fighters and still do but they were they were a huge influence on me growing up yeah those are those are my faves
1: cool um kind of linking that to what you're doing with circles like obviously your your skill and style as a drummer bleeds into your your sample libraries because you're the one who's who's playing them so um you know when i'm playing uh your samples here at at, in my studio i'm not Mm -hmm. I'm not just playing them. I'm also playing you playing the yeah. samples, which <laughs> right. is like a, a very important part of sample libraries. It's not only mm-hmm. a, a recording of the snare or the kick, it's you mm-hmm. playing it in a certain way. So do you have sort of any governing like philo- philosophies relating to that? Like uh, about your, like how does that influence your style when you're doing the, the yeah. libraries and, and, uh, do you, do you sort of develop your drumming with that in mind in, in some mm-hmm. sort of a way?
0: Yeah, I've thought about that a lot too, especially as like you kind of, as the business grows and more people download it, you start to, it gets kind of trippy. Like, like you, like you just said, like you're playing me playing the sample. It's like, well, that's weird. Like, <laughs> <but> <laughs> so, uh, I do think there is room for, and not to sound like woo woo bullshit, but like, you know, there is room for like intention in, in recording these samples and, um, and recording these loops, especially where it's like, you know, am I here, am I just, am I just doing this to do this? Are we just sampling for the sake of sampling or am I? am I do I actually give a fuck here is this like am I am I into this am I accenting the hi-hat because it makes me feel good or you know just little things like that that are sometimes lost in in the recording process that I think are important to remember when you're in there like hey somebody's making a song with this somebody's like spending time somebody first of all they paid you for this now they're taking your loop or your sample and they're using it like one would hope that if you if you take that process all the way back to when it was actually sampled that the guy or girl sampling it was like actually present and gave a fuck about it to begin with so there is that there is that ethos there too and another thing that i've discovered through this whole process and like understanding how other people do stuff in in the sampling world is like they will nine times out of ten if you get like a studio library from east west or you know oceanway or any of these big sample libraries they're usually getting like an intern to come in there and hit the drums because it's a very tedious monotonous task like you're not getting you're not getting dave Grohl or josh freese or taylor hawkins to come in there and sample a ride cymbal for two and a half hours because that's how long it takes to deep sample a ride cymbal trust me i've done it and they're not doing that so what you're getting most of the time, this isn't all the time, but a lot of the times you're getting a intern tracking a ride symbol because that's, that's easy for them to do. You're not getting a drummer do it. So the way they hit it, the way they hit the hi-hat, the way they hit the snare, the way they hit everything is not the same. It's just, it's so different. And even when we sample stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that goes in there and does it. And we've had other people do it before other people That are drummers and non-drummers do it, and it's different. It's maybe it's not better or worse, but it's different. And sometimes the dynamics fluctuate too much, and there's just there's just a lot of room for fuckery. And so unfortunately, that is one thing that I think I'll be stuck doing for basically ever is being like the guy that hits the drums. But going back to your question, I do think it is very important that there is a um an intention and and a skill behind the person that is actually hitting the drums because that's what you're paying for so i would hope that the person that the sound source the actual source that it came from you know was was present and gave a shit
1: yeah you yeah, no, and i think uh obviously based on the success of your libraries it's like people are paying for you're playing as well like your feel your touch like to me it seems absurd to be sending an intern into a into a recording room to 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 play these things like it's it seems like because you're only you're only quote quotes only hitting the stick on a on a snare at a certain level but obviously that's like a drastic oversimplification of well so many things but you know technique right. and, and and everything like it's the touch yeah. matters and obviously it's uh, it must I haven't done any any kind of sampling sessions where I was playing some well that's not true I've sampled this piano here <laughs> so, okay. a few years yeah. ago when I had to I for a university task but um, um, is that like obviously as as you're playing how do you how do you channel that right mindset into the recording session because if you're playing playing something extremely quietly or loud it's it, it can be lacking context obviously the context because yeah. there's no song so how do you is there something like practical or or mental that you do to i guess adjust your perspective and an approach to bringing consistency and bringing some kind of I guess sonic sense into into what you're doing.
0: I think it's more practical than anything where you you kind of like for me we did this library called low recently that's like it's really um it's much it's vibier I guess I don't know what the better word descriptor is for it but it's got it's more loose it's more like open and vibey it's not rocky it's like yeah you know, it's kind of ethereal sounding or something and it sound I was, a lot of what that was was practically like I was like hey Tyler like let's nuke the rooms and put give me that mix make sure that's like really loud in here and so I'm playing off of it and Tyler's in the other room like turning um I forget which pedal we went through for some of the effects but he's like he's basically jamming with me with like a was it was a little delay or phaser or some some pedal combination of pedals and so we're we're jamming together and we're feeling it we're at a tempo and it really translates in the, in the mix because i'm i'm basically having fun i'm in there like thinking like oh this is cool this would be dope as fuck and it's usually not to a to a click track it's usually just kind of whatever whatever the vibe is so practically i think in loops it makes sense to have a really a good mix in your in your headphones that that sounds good to you and but in lot loops the the last thing I mention is a lot of time I will cut in editing a lot of loops because a lot of them are just trash and you can you can hear it like you can just tell like this is this is like nonsense like you're not saying anything you're not getting anything across it just it doesn't feel good so I'll just delete those but in samples samples are different because it's it's so not musical in a lot of ways it's like anti-musical you're like you're like Hitting the drum, hitting it. Okay, next velocity layer for this uh, software project I was telling you about. It's very deep sampled, and I I made this chart, and it was um it was all the velocity layers I needed to get for all the drums, <clears throat> and it was just, it was on a eight eight and a half by eleven piece of paper, and I'm just dragging my finger across. Like here's the next velocity. I just in Photoshop I made these little boxes. Here's the next one. Okay, drag up to the next one, just so I knew like where I was in context, everything, and we sampled so many drums but just for snare drums we sampled 26 snare drums with eight velocity layers you know 10 velocity layers eight round robins so that's 80 hits per drum times 26 and you gotta wait for it to decay out and stuff like that so it's it's profoundly anti-musical right because you're you're not you're not vibing in that moment but the best thing i found you could do is just is just uh you know kind of take a deep breath and be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this snare hit the best snare hit I possibly can over and over and over again. And there's no vibe there; it's just kind of about like I'm just doing my job as best I can right now. And hopefully this will translate later.
1: Yeah, cool. We're gonna move into the final questions here so that you can get on with your day at some point. But uh, um, what do you think, like looking back? on your journey so far what is the thing that you've done best so far in your own estimation could be anything about like the business side of things could be mental uh, you know stuff for yourself anything really that comes to mind what is the thing that you've you've um, done really well in your estimation
0: Hmm. these are great questions by the way you're like a (laughs) excellent podcast host. <laughs> well
1: I try I mean I, uh, yeah, I'm i in the very very early stages of doing this but
0: I think mean, you're killing it I also you've got this great like uh like broadcast voice too the mic is very helpful but your voice itself is very low and soothing. It's Thanks nice. man
1: I try I try and utilize <laughs> I I have you know done a lot of singing and I think a lot of uh a lot of that I I didn't ever really enjoy singing lessons a lot. I really struggle to like connect my mind with what my body is doing. So mm. I'm kind of I feel very uh, like in the very early stages. Even still, after years of singing, I feel like I've I, I haven't even figured out who I am as a singer. But I try That's and fun. you know relax and just speak. Yeah, sort of down
0: low, I guess.
1: But I appreciate Teams the kind
0: I don't, I don't ever talk like I'm like, I'm like, I'm like out of breath having this conversation because (laughs) I just, I don't ever talk this much.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm sorry for forcing you to do that, but.
0: No, no, it's okay. We're actually, we started doing a lot more podcasts ourselves and we'll probably put them out over the next few days. And we we actually touched on a few topics that we talked about today. So I, I'm helpfully prepared for that, but it is interesting. I did this like hour long solo podcast basically about, you know, how I started circles and all that. And we did a Q and A thing. Which I think is why we started to talk again. But um it's it's fascinating to like to remember to breathe when I talk. And it is it is such an art. And I think about like these, you know, these podcasts that are three hours, which is, you know, like kind of I guess not the standard, but <clears throat> it seems like you were saying like a good length. But it, it is shocking how rare it is to talk for three hours straight today. And I don't know if that's it's always been like that, but it, it is fascinating that like our my voice is, is like almost hoarse from just like engaging in a a pretty standard conversation. And that's a muscle I don't use very much. So it's, it's fascinating to, to go through
1: this. Yeah, it certainly takes a lot of time to get used to. And, you know, I've, I've never like growing up, I wasn't a good speaker at all. Like this Mm -hmm. is whatever I have today is just a direct (laughs) result of putting a camera there and forcing myself to make these episodes. Like, yeah, this is a direct result of just practical work. Uh, yeah. no, no talent in speaking whatsoever. Like I've really struggled to connect my thoughts into this box here that is producing these words, but,
0: uh, I think, yeah. I think you're fucking killing it. I struggle so hard with that too. And one thing that actually helped me is, is doing podcasts and re-listening to myself talk. And yeah. go oh that is a terrible like tick that you have right? the way you say like or um or t- t- make these noises and, and i'm like why are you doing that or also i i do this thing and i'm sure i've done it in this podcast where i start this thought and then don't finish it and then don't know what to do and it's sort of like it is it is this disconnect where i know where my brain just went or where it's going but i don't know how to articulate that in a way that you'll understand and it just sort of just like stops then I go, oops, I need to fix that. But yeah, it's tricky, it's harder than people think. It's very tricky to
1: like connect, to construct what you say in a sensible way that is easy to follow, like yeah. it's not easy at all. And everybody sucks at that and you only get better at it by doing it. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's, it's difficult, but, but you, you've been amazing today and, and, uh, your voice is in fact, quite good. So, so don't, don't worry about that at all. And, and most importantly, I I think you're a great, um, you know, storyteller and, and, and just, you know, it's a, it's, it's a pleasure to hear you, uh, you know, share your, your stories and and journey and it's very follow, follow followable. No, I can't even pronounce that word. (laughs) I can follow what you're saying very clearly.
0: (laughs) Well, that's good. That's good. It's good to hear.
1: Cool um did you do you have an answer to the thing that you've done (laughs)
0: the actual question yeah uh the thing i'm most proud of that was that was a question
1: could be that yeah i mean that's a different way of phrasing it but yeah like the question was what have you done really well in your own estimation if i were to force you to you know look yourself in the mirror and say you know you've done this thing really well uh is there anything that comes to mind
0: Yeah, it's funny. That question makes me like weirdly uncomfortable. I would rather talk about the things that I don't do well than the things I do well, think I do well, Um, which is interesting. I would say this creatively anyways, this is just what the first thing that came up when you said this was we just did this new library, dead 1975, and I toil away on creative um aspects of it visual usually visual creative aspects of it are the the ultimate how should I put this like you can do a sample library it can be amazing but if you can't tell a story or or may or visually represent that in some way then it doesn't matter because people that's how people are going to relate to it it has to have a very strong visual component as well as audio they're they're tied together especially in the way that we do marketing, like we touched on earlier, but the, the Dead 1975 video that I made for it, I initially had made this, this short video with a different song and it was okay. It was, you know, it was good enough. It was passable. But when I showed it to people, it, they were like, oh, cool, man, that's, that's awesome. It wasn't like, like an oh fuck yeah moment and i was like god damn it i knew it sucked i know i knew i knew this sucked <laughs> so i i started over started from scratch and wrote this very like you know heavy kind of rock very queens of stone Age kind of thing and and then i made this video for it i grabbed this red led light that i have and illuminated my kick drum and i illuminated myself with this big blue light had this ripping song and uh just kind of piece everything together and and it just it felt so good and it felt so right. And it was kind of, I think my favorite thing, my favorite video thing I've done maybe ever. And it my goal is to always basically like take people on like a very short roller coaster. Like here's the introduction, here's the part that blows you away and then here's like the resolution of it all. So it should feel it feel like a a very succinct 30 to 45 second roller coaster is my thinking when it comes to these ads or whatever and I felt like for that one I'd finally done I'd finally connected the music, the visuals and the length of time and articulated that in a way that made sense. And that was like one of the one of my proudest moments and then when I put it out you never know what's going to happen when you put these things out. When I put it out, it was it was very well received as well, and continues to perform well on on ads and stuff. And so that was like everything connected, you know, the creative, the visual, and then also the success of the library. So it's those moments that like you're always, I'm always searching for, trying to get to, and I feel like I got there with that one. So as of late, that would be something I'm 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 most I'm most happy about that I've done personally, most proud of.
1: Yeah. I think for a good reason because it is a, a, a stunning video and like that's why why I think your branding is is well, I mean overall very well done, but like that's I think like a like a pinnacle of what you've done so far and, and it, it is beautifully uh everything about it, like the the color grading, the, the balance of it all, the sound of it all, I, I think it, it is very justified to feel the way you do. So uh <laughs> I suggest people check it out and and obviously buy the library because it sounds uh, brilliant. Buy it out. Yeah. Um, What would you say was the best mistake you've done so far? And what I usually mean by that question is like something that maybe was a fuck up or a mistake at first, but then it Mm -hmm. down the road led to something positive like maybe a realization or realized that the the fork in the road was actually maybe better at yeah. the end of the day
0: Hmm. There uh,
1: is that a so a, a difficult question
0: <laughs> it is hard it's it's good um i was just thinking the the desert the first desert library we did was one of those things where, where I was so sure it was people were gonna love it and they were gonna be like, this is so radical and weird and different. And they didn't. And in fact, like um I had uh, I had one of my friends come down and film this like fucking dope looking. It almost looked like a Mission Impossible trailer in the desert. He's my friend Ben is this amazing uh, uh videographer, camera guy, and he flew out there and and shot the the footage and it, it just looks like you know incredible and there was this whole sort of narration i did that i think i could have done a little little less it was a little like kind of woo-woo maybe you know like i just wanted to vibe off the land kind of thing. <laughs> like looking back like okay so what i was going to say is we put this beautiful video together and he helped he put it together and we put it out and the first comment on youtube was this is the dumbest fucking thing i've ever seen and then there was another one later, like, is this guy for real? question mark. And I was like, Oh fuck. I went I went to like I went to Vibe Town with this, didn't I? And then you start to peel back the layers and you're like, did we really just spend all this time and money to like record drums in a desert? And like that was the thing we were doing. And like, yeah, we're just vibing, man. We're just like getting these echoes and talking about the echoes off the land. And, <laughs> and so there's the thing is they're so fun to do and i you know i bring all my homies down to do it and we just get hammered on mezcal at like 11 a.m and play drums and it's the best fucking thing ever but i can see how they come across as as potentially douchey and um that's that's a lesson in and of itself That's like we're having fun but if you try to like relate this fun in this way it's not going to come across and don't don't try to make this into something that it's not that's been one of the funniest little like lessons I've learned
1: yeah well I think well that's a hell of a story as well like you you I mean when I saw that I like when I saw the the sample library I thought like okay that's that's definitely more interesting uh yeah I I don't think I saw the video you're talking about I never thought that it was like dumb I just thought it was interesting interesting and something that you probably I did get like a feel that you were doing it on Like just having fun with with your friends and and kind of like that it was uh just like a like a test more more than anything Mm -hmm. but i haven't seen the the content you you uh talk about but i think uh, i
0: adjusted the creative a little bit to like lessen the woo-woo aspect of it so the things that you probably saw or anybody else saw were were dialed back a little bit so there's that
1: cool no but it's definitely a, a fun concept because um it's kind of like taking the concept of sampling drums or any instruments in a space to kind mm. of like times a hundred because yeah. especially in a because uh, I, I often think about the the sound of the outside which is obviously uh like depends on what's around you like I, i'd i want to sample a, a drum kit in the forest because there's so much diffusion going on and right. it, it is very kind of dead in in, mm. in many ways if yeah. you can remove all the the fauna and the flora <laughs> to, right. to make it you know, a- yeah but yeah it is an interesting concept for sure um, second to last question um, looking back on your journey throughout your bad stuff and, and circles mm. is there you know if, if you could have received like a piece of advice or uh, specific piece of like help from someone at at a stage what do you wish that were and and when would you want to have when would you like to have had received that help and i usually ask this from a perspective of because a lot of people have creative people in their life but they're not necessarily creatives themselves and they might not understand a lot of the stuff that's going on Mm -hmm. so but they want to help they want to be you know, useful and and helpful to, to those people. So is there something from that perspective that comes to, comes to mind? Like what?
0: Yeah. That, um, I sometimes think about that in the context of if me now could go back to my 19 year old self and just sit down and have a conversation and it would, I think it would be something to the effect of like, you should have a a little more fun, be a little looser in general, because this is all so ridiculous. Like I, when I was younger, especially when thinking about this band stuff, like my God, I was so serious, like so painfully serious. And, um, and I think that it ruined, a lot of the potential uh, experiences that I could have. I mean, I still have a lot of great experiences, but like I would I would say to have more fun. To have not even not even like to actively have more fun. It's like kind of a weird way to put it, but more just like, hey bro, like this shit is so stupid. This doesn't matter. You're on tour with your best friends. You know, this isn't going to last, like go have fun. If the show sucks, whatever, go walk around, you know, you're in Boston today, go walk over to Harvard and just have fun, have more fun. I was so fucking serious. So I would say to, uh, loosen up a little bit and yeah, that'd be my biggest advice. Cool. I guess advice that I wished I would have received from a trusted source. So I would say my 34 year old self is my most trusted source.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think it should be that way, but uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately, not everybody views it that way. Because it's like True. you've you've come to this point where you know that you are uh, the person that you can you know trust the most, and I think a lot of yeah. maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe that's accurate. But unfortunately, for a lot of people, period let alone creatives, they think the authority for their life is, you know, somewhere else. It's always an external thing that, or person who knows better than you, where I think it's maybe a better investment to try and build that within yourself instead of looking for it from the outside. I agree. I
0: think, I think a lot of, um, You know, it's like when people, when people give you advice and you're not ready to hear it, you know, that old saying, you know, like, um, you know, somebody older than you gives you advice on what you should do. The reason I think it doesn't resonate is because it's like, I don't know, advice in general to anybody is just so strange. I'm like, I'm like allergic to advice at this point where if, if somebody has a good point, I'll feel it, you know. It's like they'll say something or relate it in a way in their own sort of context or journey. I'll feel it, but if if I'm explicitly given advice, like, "Hey, just to give you some advice," this nine times out of ten, I either already know it or what they're going to say is more about them than it is about me. So I'm I'm a bit allergic to advice, and and part of that I think is like something I need to work on myself because I'm I'm so like uh, anti any influence at this point like i i from being in my 20s and feeling so burned on bands and trying so hard with other people musically like i feel like i'm a little i have a little ptsd from that where it's like i don't want any input from anybody period perhaps to a fault so that's probably something i need to work on myself but thought i'd say it. yeah well it's a process like
1: and i i I fully agree that's what i what i um mentioned before that like the path in front of you is your path and and it's like even you know someone can sort of cast not not pearl pearls in in front of swines but but like even if someone is giving you brilliant advice if you don't have an access point to that advice if you can't see see it clearly what they mean because of your current positioning then it's of no use to you so that's mm-hmm. why, like, I try and say, like, your path is your path, and whatever yeah. whatever forks are in front of you, those are the selections that you have, and you choose one, and you see where it takes, and you learn from that. But, yep. but uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's uh, those are some really good insights. Okay, final final question, um, mm-hmm. and I have to ask this because of the name of the podcast and I've been asking it so far. So I'm going to continue on that. Um, what's your definition of an artist? How would you define that?
0: Oh man. Um, I sort of struggle with that. Um, like, definition for myself you know if somebody would call me that i think for the longest time i would maybe rightfully maybe not rightfully be like no I'm, I'm not an artist you know i'm i'm just i'm just a guy that does things i don't know and there is like a bit of i i suppose pretentiousness in in calling yourself uh an artist or or an entrepreneur or anything like that but sometimes I think you find yourself in a role where it's like, well, what do you do? You know, it's like, I, well, I, you know, I, I create things, I make, I make tools, you know, when you're fucking artists, you know, it's like, I'm a drummer. I make, I literally, that's what I do. And I am literally an entrepreneur in every sense. So I struggle with being called that and calling myself that. But um, to answer your question, and I guess maybe in more of a clearer context, even or context in this, in this podcast, the things we've been talking about is like, this idea that I've been obsessed with lately, where it's like, trying to, to remember what that, that feeling I had earlier in my life when I was making stuff from, from a place that I was creating, you know, it was from within, it was coming out from within, it wasn't comparative, it wasn't trying to be something else, it wasn't wasn't really inspired by well, maybe it was inspired but not directly inspired by some other source that I could point to it was kind of mysterious it just like kind of came out of me I've been trying to rediscover that part of me lately and it seems like that is uh is rare in in the world lately you know I think <clears throat> sometimes I think about and this I don't know if I sound like a fucking boomer saying this but when I watch videos of like like Kurt Cobain and Nirvana and stuff and then I see this like, he's just like dripping authenticity or like somebody like Anthony Bourdain, it was just like dripping authenticity and and, like painfully. So, I mean, obviously my two references, they killed themselves, but there's this thing where it's like, I know you can feel that it was like, they were so themselves and something was like coming out of them. was like almost like vomit. Like I'm thinking about like, Kirk Cobain just like screaming on stage like there's something so beautiful about that and I'm not like that. I'm not like him at all. I'm not like Dave Grohl, I'm not like Taylor Hawkins. I used to think I was, I used to try to be like them in the way that I talked or drummed or all that shit. And so now I'm piecing together like, well, who who am I really like, you know, I'm I'm not those people and I'm I think being an artist is trying to like figure out who you are and then and then vomit all that disgusting shit out <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that that has to be one of the best answers I've ever heard so,
0: <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah I, I do agree with that a lot not the vomit part maybe well I yeah, maybe I yeah I mean could be any kind of body fluids really but yeah. Um, yeah it's to me like the authenticity is is really the the key and it's even yeah. that's difficult like to, even this this question is kind of unfair and it's difficult but even you know to define like authenticity that can become a very deep philosophical rabbit hole quite quickly yeah, right. but um yeah it's um I, I think it's a it's a beautiful answer um I, there was something I wanted to touch on about what you mentioned but I, I i fear i'm i'm becoming too tired and and not not uh, my blood sugar isn't what what's what it's meant yeah. to be oh well, what so, what time is it there you know uh
0: Dude.
1: now it's uh quarter past 10 p.m so okay so yeah it's not too bad but uh not too bad yeah i wish maybe i could um no i can't bring it back to mind but maybe we'll we'll save that for the for the next time hopefully there's going to be a next one because uh yeah, man. we only we only got through like i don't know a fraction of what i had prepared oh, for really? this. Wow. yeah but don't worry like it it, it was a lot better because uh you know it's always great when people have you know they bring their own stuff to the table and and you you know tell your stories and and you can easily bridge between you know different topics so um, yeah hopefully we can do a, a second round
0: uh absolutely
1: at some point so
0: i'm down anytime man this is fun cool
1: yeah i mean i've really enjoyed this this has been uh, i've learned a lot uh and it's really nice to you know get to know you better and and yeah um, likewise yep it's really cool but again you know thank you for your time i really appreciate it um mm-hmm. i think uh at least I don't have a really, really big following for this, but uh, I think anyone yeah, who, yeah. who happens to stumble, stumble upon this, uh, is probably going to find it pretty cool. Um, good. I hope so. so. Yeah. So thanks for, uh, sharing your, your, uh, thoughts and journey. And again, yeah. thanks for your time.
0: Yeah. Thanks for your time too. And thanks for your interest in wanting to, um, talk about this stuff. It's fun. It's honestly, it's helpful for me too, to like, You know, talk, parse through this stuff myself. Helps me understand what I'm doing better too. So, thank you.
1: Cool. Yeah, that's why I talk to myself on camera for hours on end. But it is like (laughs) it is kind of like, well, I guess therapy Mm -hmm. in a sense. But uh, also like, Mm -hmm. if you don't write it down or if you don't talk it through, you really don't know where you stand with a lot of things. Like you really need to. You know, parse out or, or think through where you, what what you actually think and develop your right. your ideas, and that's really been the the biggest upside of making the, this podcast because yeah uh, yeah makes a lot of your thoughts actual. So. Yes,
0: yeah, it's true. No, I agree. It's like I I would I think everybody should have a podcast sometimes, and then I'm like there's too many podcasts, so no, maybe not.
1: Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to get let you go back to your to your life and uh, um, Thank you. maybe uh, tell your dogs that a weird Finnish guy says hi and give them a give them a few scratches and and rubs for me and Deal.
0: Uh, I will. From Marcus. I'll yes. tell him.
1: Cool. Awesome. <laughs> well, again, thanks and uh, um, we'll talk at some point uh, on something. Hopefully another Sounds sample good. library coming from, from you, and uh, can't got wait. Three to
0: see. so definitely yes.
1: Cool. Awesome.
0: Cool, man. Well, have a good night, and thanks for staying up with me.
1: Anytime. <laughs>
0: cool. See you, right, man. See you later.
1: See you. Bye bye.